is the Entertainment Beyond Podcast with your host, Jensen Dean Jackson and Alan Weinstein, bringing you all things relevant in pop culture and entertainment. We will be with you weekly, at least, talking about movies, politics, music, and all things in between. So check us out. See you next week. Same bad time, same bad station. Hey. Hey. How's it going? How's it going? It's going all right. How about yourself? Oh, you know, bad things come in threes. Money order was the first uh, one. One sec. I got to put these headphones in again. Ladies and gentlemen, Alan with his goddamn headphones. And uh, to get back to a greeting from once before, before holler, holler, dicky dollar, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another rousing edition of Entertainment Beyond. As always, I am one of your guest hosts, Jensen the Beautiful and Je- Majest- Jensen the Beautiful and Majestic, as always, joined by Alan Weinstein. And ladies, to quote Samuel Jackson from the first Jurassic Park, hold on to your butts because this one might get a little deep and might go a little long. <laughs> uh, today, we're going to be giving our Spoilery, spoilery opinions and views, thoughts, and maybe share some moments that made us tear up a little bit on the biggest movie uh, I'm calling the biggest movie of the fucking decade, Avengers Endgame. Of the decade? I'd say it's the biggest. There's never going to be a movie that comes around again that, that's this uh, magnanimous, this... Uh, major on on such a massive scale you know it's in the first three days alone alan it made a billion dollars yeah no it's definitely uh been a a a global phenomenon it's uh it's yeah it's on pace to become the highest earning movie of all time finally dethroning those blue cat bastards in the avatar movie which if you (laughs) want my opinion not that great of a movie technologically speaking it is an amazement but it's a tale as old as its time. It's basically just cowboys and Indians replacing the Indians with blue cat people. And again, am I supposed to be turned on by Zoe Zeldana's character? Like, am I supposed to? Am I not supposed to? Confusion abounds. Yeah, I was never, I wasn't a big Avatar fan. It left me very disappointed, so. Yeah, you know. And it, it'll be even funnier if this movie dethrones Avatar, seeing as James Cameron uh hates comic book movies and thinks they're going to go the way of the Western and people are going to get tired of them, which, uh, you know, I think he's just out of touch with reality and can't accept the bitter old man. who can't accept that the times have moved past him like they do with everybody. Yeah. I mean, I don't think superhero movies are going anywhere, but I don't think Westerns have gone anywhere. I mean, they're not as prolific as they were, but they're still, you know, they're still around, you know, you got your cowboys and your aliens, your three tens of you moss, you know, they're there. Every year, every year you got two or three, you know, what I would say mainstream Westerns. And then if you're really looking around and you're a Western fan, you can find, you know, a bunch of, you know, B-rated Westerns that are always that come out every year. So, I mean, you know, and I think superhero movies are going to be around forever. I think they're here to stay, especially with the selling power that they have. I mean, oh, yeah. No, I mean, if a movie's doing that much business in three days, that is proof positive that 
people don't haven't gotten tired of them. I mean, I've been on this journey for, you know, 22 movies, 11 years. And I was getting a little tired of it just because they're playing a little too fast and loose, but they finally gave me what I wanted. Yeah. I mean, you know, being the high grossing film of all time, you know, I'm not sure that that is synonymous with the best movie of all time uh, or the most entertaining movie of all time. Um, I, you know, I enjoyed it. I mean, I enjoyed it. I've enjoyed other films in my life more, but I definitely enjoyed it. How dare you, sir? <laughs> no, I'm checking. All right. So you want to get into it? Yeah. I'll let you lead the discussion since you're, uh, I've seen it three times. Versed. Well, you've seen it more and you're more versed in the source material and can comment a little bit better on. So the movie opens up. I'm trying to remember. You'd think I would be able to to recount all three hours with perfect sense of memory. I believe the movie opens up, yeah, with Hawkeye uh, teaching his daughter how to shoot bows and arrows. And, you know, it's the Hawkeye family on the, on the, the good old Hawkeye estate. And uh, his daughter disappears, and then his wife and children disappear. And then we get the... Uh, the opening montage of fanfare with yeah uh, so i want to comment on the whole opening scene you know i the thing that you know i have some issues with marvel in general one of the issues that i have is is the length of the movies overall i think they always tend to be too long um and two i have an issue and i mentioned this before with them uh, forcing us to sit through the credits to get a little tiny sneak peek of something up next which um i did not do upon your uh instructions um we left right at the end of the movie but um i want to say you know that this this is one of those scenes where although it I, i can see the necessity of it because you want to show the pain in hawkeye's character that is um you know, uh, coming out throughout the whole film. And, but at the same time, this is one of those five or seven minutes. I don't remember how long the whole scene is that in my opinion could have been done in a way where he said, you know, in conversation showing up, my family disappeared when Tano, you know, whatever, whatever, I don't know, whatever that we didn't need that extra seven minutes of seeing his family disappear. And I feel like, um, Another issue that I have with Marvel is I don't mind um, having um, feeling um, compassion or sadness or an urge to cry or show any kind of emotion like that as long as it's organic. I don't necessarily like feeling manipulated. And And that's one of those scenes where they put it in simply, I believe, to and at the very beginning to get you all emotionally going right off the bat. And so I, I, that opening scene, although I, you know, it made me tear up and I felt bad for him and I, and I understand, you know, how it leads into his character. I thought it was one of those we could have done without, or they could have done in another way. Yeah. I, uh, I feel differently. I believe that there has to be a longer cut of the movie and his whole story arc doesn't really pay off. I believe the opening scene was to give some uh, emotional heft to the fact that, you know, five years later, he's going around on a, on a worldwide killing spree of bad people. 
And I believe that the I mean the character's never been treated right in the MCU, the movie versions, and he's a lot cooler in the comics, but in the movie versions he's kind of a lame fucking duck. And I believe that this movie was supposed to be like redemption, but you know, it just it kinda it's I mean it's, it's to me that they could have, you know, when um they find out that it's him that is uh, you know, attacking these people five years later uh, and they confront him, he could have said, I lost my whole family five years ago when, you know, half the world disappeared. And and it would have been, in my opinion, the same, especially since you've already treated him as a very secondary peripheral character to begin with. It seems odd to me to then give him, you know, seven minutes in the beginning of a three-hour movie. I mean, you've already got this movie. It's already over three hours. It's three hours and five minutes. Here's the extra five minutes already. <laughs> you know, it's like, come on. Yeah, honestly, they should have killed Hawkeye. Pietro Maximoff should have lived and Hawkeye should have died at the end of Avengers Age of Ultron. Like, I've never really been. I'm not really a huge fan of Jeremy Renner. I don't really find him uh, captivating or interesting in the least bit. And uh, the Hawkeye character, yeah. I mean, you know, you've got on a team full of gods and what, what else... You have two humans. I mean, no one wants to see Black Widow go anywhere, although I have my opinions on Scarlett Johansson as an actress. Uh, I believe that you don't need two simple-ass human beings. You stick to the Justice League rule. There's a reason why, you know, Batman's the only true human being on the team, because you only need one, and he's the best member of the fucking team. You know, that's open to debate for people who like the big blue Boy Scout, but I believe that that works so much better, and to have Hawkeye there uh contrasting against natasha only shows that hawkeye is the weaker one and so you know it's kind of like why the fuck are you here we have a badass human being that can handle weaponry like what do you bring to the table oh bow and arrow that's cute you know like try not to shoot yourself in the fucking knee with it uh yeah, yeah I, I never thought i mean I, you know again i'm not a big source material fan or source material guy as far as reader of avengers stuff but I always, I mean, I, I, he was never one of the bigger Avenger characters in the comic books that I read uh, to begin with. So, I mean, he was always a peripheral character. And at least I always thought of him in that way in the comic books as well, or at least the ones that I read. So, I mean, I like Jeremy Renner. I think he's a good actor. I think he has some depth to him. I think he has some acting ability. And I think he's brought some life to that character that um, I like. But, yeah, I mean, he could have died. And, you know, I, again, I just... I don't have a problem with knowing that his family died. I just didn't need an extra five or seven minutes at the beginning of the movie. And again, I don't need to have my heartstrings tugged at. I feel like that scene's there just to make you feel sad for Hawkeye. And I understand that it's to make you, you know, that it establishes why he's doing what he's doing five years later. But like I said, they could have confronted him and he could have told you why. You know, I mean, that could have just, it could have been done just that easily, in my opinion. Very true. Very true. And I think, uh, after that scene, I think we head to space and we encounter Tony Stark and Nebula, which we'd seen in the trailers and they played it like Tony wasn't going to make it back. You know, there's a sweet little message to Pepper uh, through the Iron Man uh, helmet. And then Captain Marvel shows up out of completely nowhere like an RKO. And saves him. And I gotta say, like, it's just impressive when the ship is coming in for landing and she's just 
holding it. The ship is being held by nothing but the, the might of a woman, a very powerful woman. It's a very impressive. Yeah, I was saying it's very impressive to see Carol carrying the, uh, what is it, the Benatar softly to a landing. And then you get the reunion between Tony and Cap, who haven't seen each other since their fallout in um, Captain America's Civil War. And, yeah, you get that nice little side that Tony, you know, talking about losing the boy, referring to Peter Parker and Steve Rogers saying they lost a bunch of people. And Tony almost breathlessly asking if uh, Pepper was alive before the beautiful and talented Miss Gwyneth Paltrow comes back in the shot. So, so uh, let me back up for just a second. So I wanted to comment on um, you and my other buddy and a third person. So three people told me, uh, you know, you don't have to see Captain Marvel before you see the Avengers Endgame. It's not crucial storyline. And I'm sure that the movie itself, and maybe the storyline wasn't, but when she showed up, I was like, uh, who is that? And I don't, you know, and, and it took me a second before I, and, and I felt like I'm missing something here. So the one though. thing that you missed was the the um, <clears throat> mid-credit scene for uh, for Captain Marvel was the Avengers, uh, Natasha, Steve, and a third person trying to figure out how Fury's little cosmic pager worked. And then the signal just died. And then they, there was like a gust of wind and they turn around and Captain Marvel standing behind them. So I think that that little scene was supposed to be the prelude of how she finds Tony. Okay. Okay. Yeah, because when she showed up, I was like, who's that? Oh, it's got to be Captain Marvel. And then I, I mean, obviously from the trailers, I was like, it took me just a second to realize who it was. But then I was like, well, what's going on here? So I felt a little in the dark there. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, her showing up was impressive for you know she's a beautiful woman and uh, you know it's a great character uh captain marvel's been a great character for years in the comic books i've always always liked the captain marvel character or character um and it, she's impressive visually i want to see the movie now i like the the way they showed her with kind of the glow around her and the way they made it look not it didn't look super cheesy um, and, uh, you know, she did a nice job with, uh, I guess the name of the ship is the Benatar. That's Thanos' ship, right? No, no, that's the Guardian's ship. Oh, I'm sorry, the Guardian ship. I apologize. That's right. Thanos' that's... ship, I think, is the, uh, the Dark Aster. Okay. So, yeah. So, though, yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I like that scene that, you know, the stuff with Tony and Cap when they come back, you know, he tells them he, he lost the kid and they kind of embrace, which is nice to see, you know, and there's kind of a, you squashing of the beef which you need to get especially since you know that they're well I mean you don't know I I knew afterwards because after I saw the movie I came back and read some stuff well quite a bit of stuff about it so um, and I I, you know come to discover after seeing it that uh, both Chris Evans and Robert Downey Jr. had already said that this is going to be their last time in those roles and I'm glad I didn't know that before the seeing it because obviously it would have just solidified what I already thought, which was that Tony Stark died in the movie. Um, and, uh, but I had no idea that we were going to, to lose Captain America to, or, or I'm sorry, let me rephrase that, that we were going to have a switching and changing of the guard from Steve Rogers to Sam, uh, what's his name? Uh, Wilson, right? Is it Wilson? Yeah. Sam Wilson. Sam Wilson. 
who apparently, according to my brother, and again, I'm not a, um, a comic book aficionado, that Sam Wilson takes over in the comic books as well, that he has uh, a nice yes, run as, uh, as Captain America. So a very my recent. Bro- my brother was very happy to see that they did that and that, because, you know, he had said that he had read before that, because um, I went to the movie, I went and saw it with my wife and brother, and afterwards, me and my brother talked about it a little bit. He said he had he had heard already before that Chris Evans was, that this was going to be his last doing as Captain America, and that he wanted to know how they were going to handle that, and that he was very happy that they did the passing of the guard to, you know, to to Sam, which is what they did in the comic books. So. Well, in the comic books, Bucky wore the shield way, <laughs> way before Sam did, so it was a little, I'm not disappointed, because that's more black representation uh, for people like me and shit like that. I think it's cool, but it kind of... Um, continuity-wise, you skip a character like Bucky was Captain America in the comic books, which I'm not sure if you remember that. They killed Steve Rogers. It was such a huge event that the New York Times covered it and gave him a eulogy and whatnot. And Bucky became the new Captain America for a good long time. And then Sam Wilson didn't actually become Captain America until I think a couple years ago. And so it's cool. It's just like and that's me stuck in my ways that well, and it seems odd to me that if they're both alive, why you wouldn't pass it to Bucky first? He seems to me to be the natural kind of replacement more than Sam. I'm not mad that Sam's going to be it. And like you said, black representation, all the better. You know, more diversity, more more roles, leading roles for, for you know, actors and minority actors. And at the same time, for continuity-wise, you would think that it would make more sense, whether you know the source material, material or not, for Bucky to take the place of Cap before Sam would. Yeah, that's one of the problems with the uh, with the, the movies versus the comics is that there's so much history. So, you know, when, when Cap in the movie says that Bucky and Sam are his best friends, like, you get why him and Buck are best friends because they, they survived World War II together. These are the two men that are out of time, but you don't really have a lot to gleam to 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 figure out that Sam Wilson will in the movie universe will be one of Captain America's most trusted friends and allies, and uh, but you know again that's me stuck in my ways of, of having like decades of knowledge of history of the comics and being like you're doing it right but you're not doing it all the way right you know just nitpicky things that in the well, grand scheme herein lies part of the problem when you're trying to adapt something um that is that has such a long storyline you you can't take you know 30 years of comic books and condense it into a three-hour movie you know you just can't or into 22 three-hour movies i mean it's it's more than that you're not going to be able to give enough uh to every person that deserves it every character that deserves it and at the same time it's already too much. You know what I'm saying? And I don't know how to, I don't know how you reconcile that. So I, I, I understand what you're saying. And at the same time, I can't take a whole lot more of Hawkeye backstory or, you know, I, I hear that there's, like I said, I read a bunch of stuff afterwards and I guess there's a Natasha Romanoff movie coming out. They don't know the, the story. It's a secret what the story is about or whatever. They, they the, the idea is that the most, uh, believable idea is that it's going to be a prequel as opposed yeah you got to find out how she got all that red in her ledger since she's dead um and that you know even you know banner said that he couldn't bring her back so the idea would be it would be a prequel but um so we'll just have to see um but i don't you know 
I'll see it, but I don't necessarily need it. And at the same time, you know, you're right. If you're going to actually do something and adapt it from the source material the correct way and and do the source material justice, you have to flesh all that out, which is a problem when you're adapting stuff that has such a long history of or you know has such long storylines and you know you may say that it's not necessary and i don't know i feel like they should have done a black widow origin movie way way long ago like they kind of missed their moment and what might not be necessary uh scarlett johansson despite however i may feel about her same same acting skills she fucking deserves it she is the original besides gwyneth paltrow she is one of the original ladies of Marvel. She goes all the way back to Iron Man 2, man. That was like one of the best scenes in Iron Man 2 is when she storms Stark Industries and puts a fucking hurt on the security guards, you know? Because up to that point, I'd only viewed Scarlett Johansson in a very stereotypical male-driven way of just her being, you know, a piece of eye candy and nothing beyond that, you know? And it was through these movies, ironically enough, stupid comic book movies as bill maher would probably say that i discovered that man she actually has a little bit of range when it comes to acting and she's not as basic as yeah i'm just saying uh you know i i can see where you're coming from with not needing a black widow movie but i think she's owed it she's been fucking owed it she's for a long time she was the only woman holding it down for a long time she's been the only female avenger and the only female in these Marvel movies, you know, then Wanda came slowly, but surely there were more females, but I think she definitely deserves it. And it'd be a nice little, you know, thank you to the fans that were, have been so faithful to the black widow character and so much fucking love. You know, there was once upon a time where even Scarlett Johansson had to ask, why doesn't my character have a fucking toy? Like there's so much sexism in the world towards females. It sickens me physically, you know, just I don't want to get too far off and preach on that, but just uh, it, it, they should have been been done did this shit a long time ago. Like, it's just baffling to me, especially when you have such a high demand for a character like that. People want to see this shit, you know what I'm saying? And not yeah. giving it to her. So I, I definitely, I, I, if I remember correctly, I, I read online that the movie's going to be dropping sometime in 2020. And uh, yeah, that's about all we know. And it's, it's definitely got to be a prequel because there's no way they can do a sequel. And I bet you we're going to find out, you know, how, you know, going back to Avengers 1, how she ended up with all that red in her ledger. And you, yeah. you could even have Hawkeye in it because, you know, the origin story between them is that he was sent out by, by S.H.I.E.L.D. to execute her because she was a Russian spy. Instead, he turned her into a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. So you could have <clears throat> more bland-ass Jeremy Renner and his basic-ass superhero Hawkeye. And, uh yeah figure out how she got all that red in her ledger and and all that good shit yeah i mean i i you know there's there's so much ground to cover i just it, you can't cover everything and i as much as i love natasha and i think scarlett johansson is a great actress i, I think she's been a good actress um i like her range i think she brings a lot to the character um I like the Natasha Romanoff character. The Black Widow is a very cool character, even just for being a human with no powers, which makes her even cooler because, you know, I mean, if you have powers, you're, you're already kind of, you know, you're obviously special and whatever. And 
she's a human that that hangs with these guys with nothing special but just being badass and she's a chick so um i you know at the same time you know you can only give so much um attention to so much to so many people and i you know the fans i you know i i'll watch natasha romanoff movie but it's it's not going to i would imagine and maybe i'm wrong but I, my guess is is that it wouldn't be as successful at the box office as one might think. Oh, I and, doubt and maybe, that. And maybe that's because we're, you know, an extremely sexist country. I don't know what it is. I just think that I see her as um, the way that they have treated her gives the fans an air of her being still a peripheral character. I mean, a main peripheral, the main peripheral character. And I'm not super happy with the fact that she ends up dying. I mean, I, you know, I, I thought that, that he should have died and she should have lived and she should have gone on to kind of, you know, I don't know, whatever, but um, cause I like her and I think she's an integral part of the, or was an integral part of the team. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I guess maybe I'm just, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what I don't know what you would call it. I mean, it's not that I don't want to see it. I just you have uh, less of an interest in it. It's yeah, and, and not <laughs> even that. Just, I don't. You know, there's so many people that you can't give everybody their three hours. You know, I mean, I get it. You know, and some you've given way more than you should. I mean, even though Ragnarok was good, Dark World was terrible, and Thor, the first movie, was you know debatable. Ragnarok is by far the best of the three. Thor movies and I don't need six and a half or eight or nine hours of Thor movies. I mean, one would have been enough, you know, I mean, I, I bet, I bet your wife and a lot of the women in the world would disagree with that <laughs> statement. Well, I'm sure that's probably true. And at the same time, you know, I mean, I don't really care about, I mean, not that I don't, I don't say I don't care about what they think. Cause obviously I do, but I don't care. You know, if you're making movies, which they do just to, feature you know chris hemsworth's body and and have women come to the theater then that's your prerogative but that's not that doesn't do it for me and that's not why i want to see movies made especially about characters that i like you know i mean i don't so i don't know i mean I, i again you know for me a lot of times more is less um and i just think you can do enough without having to uh tease out everything to its you know total extreme i mean but that's just me you know i uh again being a avid comic book reader like the roster changes i knew this was coming this is what irritated me about uh infinity war is that i had stated to anybody listen like the only thing that i that absolutely has to happen is iron man because that completes, it completes a circle, you know, from Iron Man 1 all the way to the end. Like, it starts and it, it almost ends with Tony Stark. Like, that needed to happen, and it didn't. Like, when, when I was in the movie theater, because I went and saw it opening day, and uh, when Thanos stabs him with his own sword, I fucking jumped up and clapped and screamed yes and looked around a bunch of people were looking angry at me for probably multiple reasons and it's just one of those things that to tell a full complete story from point a to point b i feel like that was very integral 
So I knew, you know, a lot of people had their stocks on Captain America dying, and I didn't think that that was going to happen. I knew, I knew that he was going to eventually, you know, give up the shield. But my, well, I guess what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that I'm not really bothered or shocked by most of the events and the, and the characters dying in the movies because that's one of the things about the Avengers is that while Cap, Thor, and Tony are always some in some way, shape, or form of, uh, involved with the Avengers, the roster is ever-changing, you know? At one point, there was a comic book storyline called Avengers World because that's how massive of a fucking production they had taken the idea of the Avengers initiative. And so I knew that it was... Uh, I knew it was coming. I, I knew that, uh, besides the fact, I mean, it's almost always a joke to me, but Robert Downey Jr. read a thing online the other day. He stands to make like 75 mil, a cool 75 million from Avengers uh, Endgame alone. And, you know, the deal he struck with Kevin Feige way back in the day means that he gets back end from, and I think any movie that he's in, he'll get a, a nice little back end from that, from those movies. So, it's to me, it's almost like a funny joke where you know, like they gotta kill him because they can't keep paying him, you know. Right. Like he's very, he's become a very expensive actor. But all jokes aside, uh, it completes his story arc. It really, like, I don't really. Uh, I I thought, you know, out of the two, uh, I thought Black Widow, yeah, she should have lived, and Hawkeye should have died, and you know, fuck, he even wanted to do it. But I get the tragedy behind the character. And her little backstory, just from the things we've gotten, you know, and the like little snippets, like uh, when they all come back from the quantum realm and Clint comes back alone and they're sitting out over the lake and they're asking, did she have any family? Like, I get that. I get, you know, her character probably saying lost and alone and like she has less purpose in the world than Clint would because he has a family. I understand all that. You know, it, it is still... Like it didn't, it didn't punch me in the gut as hard as it did when you're, you know, seeing Gamora fall to her death. I think just because the situation is a little bit different, and I, you know, I kind of felt like I understood uh, why it had to happen. You know, that makes her one of the most important pieces to that whole fucking time heist. Because without her soul sacrifice, you know, they wouldn't have been able to undo the decimation. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, you know, the best thing for me about Avengers Infinity War was the ending part. Thanos snapped his fingers and it actually happened. Characters we cared about actually went away. And that is so rare for Marvel. Um, As I was saying, uh, the best thing about Infinity War was that they let it end with Thanos actually doing what he said he was going to do and people disappearing. And even though it's sad, it was so unconventional that it was refreshing and exactly what we needed. That being said, I knew Endgame was going to be a reuniting story. I knew somehow, I didn't know how they were going to pull it all off. I didn't know what they were going to do, but I knew everybody was coming back eventually. And I'm extremely satisfied with the fact that they killed or that Tony died and that Natasha died. I mean, I, you know, I think in that scene, 
it, it could have been just as easy to have Hawkeye die. But again, I understand, you know, she has no family. She has whatever. He has kids and a wife. And I get that. So, but I'm glad that they still had, you know, at least two main characters. And Vision is what he is, you know. Um, uh, and Gamora is what she is as far as peripheral characters. I mean, she's a main character for Guardians. Um, and she was crucial to the uh, time heist and her sacrifice made, you know, the whole thing really possible. Um, and, but I'm glad that they had some characters die. I was, I was afraid that it, everyone was going to come back and it was just going to be a big old happy love fest. Um, too I, neat. Like I said, I didn't know before that either Chris Evans or Robert Downey Jr. had said that this was their last time. So I didn't necessarily go into this knowing that, Tony was going to die. I mean, I, I was hoping that, you know, some people would die. And I assume Tony Stark seems like a natural person to, um, after talking with you, after you seeing it. And I, you said nothing to divulge it other than you cried a couple times. And I just, I assumed in my mind that for you, one of those times had to be Iron Man's death. And so I, um, I just kind of assumed that he was going to die. So I'm glad that they did that. I, I didn't want everybody back and just, you know, oh, yay, it's just one big happy reunion. I mean, that's nice, but it's boring, you know, and it's, it's I don't know. So I'm glad that they still had <coughs> some major characters um, leave us. Uh, I did like, and I'm not sure we had, you had kind of talked us up through, um, Captain Marvel landing the yes, Benatar. Is that, you... is that before? That's after they show up and kill Thanos, right? No, that's before. So you get them, you get their reunion, and they go back inside Avengers. I always called Avengers Mansion, but I guess it's called Avengers HQ. And they go back and, and... time lapse happens. Well, no, well, yeah. So they the Cap is trying to get the information from Tony, and Tony is still distraught, you know. And a little right, right, out. Right. And the thing that I don't like about that is that when they first uh, see each other again after you know all that shit, they're all you know it's, everything seems cool, and then Tony regresses almost back to like not even Captain America Civil War Tony Stark, but like Iron Man One Tony Stark, paranoia and fear against everybody, and he has those lines about. <clears throat> having nothing for Cap, no information, no details, no trust, and he whispers the word trust, indicating that he still hasn't gotten over the uh, the events of Civil War and Cap knowing about Bucky murdering Stark's parents or whatnot. And so that kind of j- j- rubbed me the wrong way, you know, because one moment they're all sweet on each other and Tony, and it seems like they made up, and the next moment Tony's this bitter man who still hasn't gotten over something, and then you get Tony passes out, he collapses. You get, uh, and this is the second time you get, uh, uh, and I was thinking about this last night, you get a line like this where, uh, so the first time someone says casually that they're going to go kill Thanos is uh, Thor in Infinity War, and all the Guardians are mouths agape and like, you can't kill the fucking Mad Titan, he's fucking Thanos. And then the second time is after that whole freak out with Tony Stark freaking out on the Avengers and then Captain Marvel mentioning something about some kind of alien elixir after she gets back and 
Steve is like, where are you going? She just casually throws out, I'm going to go kill Thanos. And, you right. know, so you get that. And then, you know, they're like, well, this is our fight too. So then um, Nebula divulges where Ooh. she thinks Thanos is. And then you get that where uh, they fucking jump the Mad Titan and Thor goes for the head this time. And then you get the five-year jump. Okay. So, yeah, they, uh, they yeah. fucking six-on-one handicap match style Thanos. And they disarm him, literally, and then they behead him. And you get that right. nice little line of Rocket Raccoon saying, what'd you do? And Thor's like, I went for the head. And, you know, right. then you get, you get the, the five-year jump. And I think so before it, I... we get the five-year jump, the scene with Thanos, I liked that scene. That scene. I liked the fact... I'm still a little confused, and I guess it should be clear now after Tony did the snap at the end, but once you do the snap, you, it, it, something happens to the gauntlet or the stones for a while. I mean, I'm not sure, but it, I no, mean, something what, happens to the gauntlet. The stones are still fine. It's just, they look a little fucked up. Okay. So for whatever reason, and, and I liked when they showed up that Thanos had, gotten rid of the stones he didn't need them anymore i like the idea that he had done what he uh, wanted to do and that he was done with them and that he was okay to to go ahead and die i mean he basically let them kill him i mean to be fair he didn't have the stones and whatever but he's still a pretty powerful dude and and he basically kind of fell on his sword and said you know i i understand that you know i i have to you know, die for what I did. And at the same time, what I did was the right thing. I mean, he's never going to admit that he did the wrong thing. And I just, I liked that scene, the fact that the stones weren't there um, because I thought going into it, oh, they're, you know, they're going to go, they're going to, you know, kill Thanos and take the stones off of them and use it and go back in time. And I liked that it just, that it didn't work out quite that simple, that they came up with a little bit more substance to the storyline than that. I wasn't super fond of necessarily where they ended up taking it as far as getting the stones, um, but it, it, that's... You, you didn't know, like we'll all the... Point. You didn't like... Uh, yeah, we'll get to that point. Uh, so we have the five-year jump. Yeah, we have the five-year jump, and it opens up on a storage garage in San Francisco, I believe. And basically, uh, a rat pulls Scott Lang out of the quantum realm. Right. And then we get this. And this is scene number one. You know, I told you there was five times the first time I saw the movie that had me crying. And this is scene number one where Scott's frantically looking for Cassie. I'm a little sad because I really liked younger Cassie Lang. I thought she was really cute. And the, I, I really liked that relationship between her and her father in both movies. So I was a little saddened that, you know five years have passed before we get too far past that uh, let, let me ask you a question in in ant-man and the wasp he you've seen it right yeah he is on house arrest um and her him and her are sliding down the stairs in the laundry basket and she is about six years old at most and then in Avengers Endgame, five years later, she looks like she's about 16 years old. Yeah. It's uh... So, 
they it looked like they aged her too much, right? Did you get that impression as well? She looked like a twenty year old to me. She looked like a solid twenty year old. So, and she was just like five or six, five years ago, right? Yeah, something like that. She could have been a little bit older. You know, sometimes kids are just really tiny, but they're actually older than they look. But she couldn't have been more than 10. I mean, that little girl wasn't more than 10 years old. At, at the most, I would say 10. Right. So I thought that was a, a weird little discontinuity in the storyline. I was like, because when she answered the door, I was like, who's that? And then he's like, Cassie. And I was like, wait a second. that She shouldn't be that old yet. I mean, she looks too old to be Cassie. <laughs> and my wife looked at me and said, wasn't she just a little girl five years ago? <laughs> so, no, But if you I think about to... it, because Ant-Man and the Wasp, no, it's right because they divulge that the time lapse between Infinity War and Endgame is only 22 days. And Ant-Man and the Wasp takes place right before Infinity War's end. So it's right. happening while Infinity War is going on. So yeah, it's, it's probably a mistake on their part. She, yeah. she looks, you know, 10 years older or but more. I, I... I still, my eyes welled up and I pushed up a little tear when he found her. I was, I was, the scene where he's, you know, realizes like he's looking at the, the monuments of the names and he's looking for her and she's not there. And, and then he, you know, then he finds her. It's like, oh, he found her. It's like, she's a little old, but at least he found her and she's alive. And yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's a, that's definitely one of those. Again, I, I, you know, um, it's a nice scene. It's a heartwarming scene. It's one of those, much like the opening scene with uh, Barton's family, where I feel like it's just an obvious manipulation to tug at your heartstrings. Like, you know, you don't necessarily have to have that. You know, you could have done that in another way also. Well, it works for me because I have parental issues as well as issues with my own daughter. So it definitely worked me because I, yeah. you know... Anything that has to do with children and parents reconnecting is always gonna always gonna pull at me. I wouldn't call it my heartstrings, you know. It's always gonna just force me to reveal my emotions. I'm constantly trying to stuff down. So sure. it, it worked for me, you know. And I, it's uh, yeah, I, I I dug it. I I thought it worked. It played well. I'm glad that they didn't linger on it too much. Right. I mean, they could have, right. I'm glad, you know, if you're going to do it, they did it the right way. You know, he found her and they moved on. Obviously, you know, anytime he's involved, Paul Rudd is involved as, as Scott Lang. I like Paul Rudd. I think he's a good actor. I think he's funny. He always lends a lot of comic relief uh, and, you know, a strong comic element. Um, I like the Ant-Man character. Did uh, you know that Paul Rudd is fucking 50? He just turned 50 years old. He looks damn good for 50. He looks... I mean, I, you know, I have to think about that stuff. I mean, I'm going to be 43 this year, and these guys, he's a, a little older than I am. I mean, he's a few years older than I am, and I, I forget about that stuff. You know, you know, it seems really weird to me is that, I mean, I don't know how big a fan you are, but when I think of guys like E-40 or, uh, you know, other West Coast rappers that have been doing it for... I mean, these are guys that are now... I mean, he's almost 50. I mean, he's got to be 48. He's four or five years older than I am. And, you know, still putting out albums and still doing it and still doing the same thing. It's like, you know, you always think, and, and I, you know, this, this sounds weird, but, you know, I don't, we're going, we are going to be the first generation uh, or my generation or, you know, guys a little bit older than me, but 
um, the, of, of old, old thugs. I mean, there's going to be, you know, 75 and 80 year old guys that are still, you know, thugged out, still doing the same thing. I mean, I'm going to probably be that way. So let's go to weed, still doing the same. I mean, it's just funny to, to think of that. You know, you always think of like old guys as, you know, wearing, you know, khakis and a button down shirt and, you know, whatever you, you know, you grow up and you mature and you become an adult and you, you know, you, you put those childish things away and not that those things are childish, not that who you are is childish. It's just funny to think that, you know, as I'm getting older, these guys are getting older and they're even older. <laughs> you know, Robert Downey Jr. has got to be close to 55, right? Shit, I'd say he's probably closer to fucking, yeah, probably about that. I was going to say 60, but maybe it's, it's closer uh, you to the 50s. You know how gray he looked in this movie? Yeah, and it was perfect. It was uh, to show the passing of time. And, you know, yeah. it, it was a perfect look. Yeah, I was just saying it was a perfect look, the perfect amount of gray for his new role as Daddy Tony. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I mean, it showed his age literally, you know, as far as that. It also shows, you know, he's going, he's been through a lot and he should look aged and weathered. I mean, he, which has been part of my problem with Captain America is it's Steve Rogers. You know, up until he ages at the very end, never looks a day old. Well, he's got that super soldier serum. That's I mean, he's got the Hulkamania coursing through his veins. Yeah, no, I mean, I guess that's true. I guess he doesn't. So I guess he doesn't age at all or whatever. But you know, at least Tony, you could tell is you know has gone through the stress. Thor, uh, the great Thorbowski, has gone through all you know through a a horrible mess. Uh, You know, Thor's had it the worst, in my opinion, and of all the characters with all their tragedies. Thor has watched everybody that he's cared about some way, shape, or form die. Not just somewhere, but die in front of, right in front of him. Like, yeah. I, I totally, there's a lot of people, hatred online about that. And, and the, the, the direction they took Thor in this movie. I'm like, no, that totally fucking works. Like, fuck, you'd be that way too. Yeah, and I liked that he kept the beard and Clearly, he must be preparing for another role because he is overweight. I don't think that was a fat suit. No, that's a mixture of a fat suit and CGI. Really? He looked like he was truly overweight. I thought he was preparing for maybe another role. Because even when he's back at the end um, in his, uh, you know, kind of normal Thor Asgardian outfit uh, at the end with his hammer and he's looking a little bit more normal, his belly is still... You can still see there's a little bit of a, a bulge there, pot belly there. Yeah, I kind of thought that the, like something would happen and they get back to slim and trim Thor. And you know what's so funny is that if you, you probably don't remember Thor The Dark World because everybody hates that movie. But the beginning shows his grandfather. And so I saw that like I, like, I liked it because he looked like his fucking grandfather with a big-ass beard and long-ass, badass long hair and the big, you know warrior gut like it it worked for me i liked it and you know i thought i liked maybe it when he fucking he called both the stormbreaker and melnir i thought maybe the lightning would be the key to slimming back down when i he transformed his beard turned all braided and shit he just looked so badass i'm like okay like i actually like this like i don't mind this you know because even odin before his passing was a little bit on the thicker side and so i think that's just natural probably with the weight of being a king is that you know especially with all the mead and beer you drink 
you're probably going to gain a little weight. Even even a Asgardian God of Thunder is going to get a little thick in his later years. Well, yeah, and I liked the whole... I, I mean, I really liked the direction that they took Thor. I liked his grieving. I liked his, you know, like I said, the, his big Lebowski persona. I mean, in this in this film, I loved the sunglasses. I thought he was just perfect for for being you know, this, the, the, the guy that's just kind of distraught and at the same time trying to pretend like it's not really bothering him, you know, like it is what it is. And, you know, I, I've moved on. And at the same time, you can tell that he, he hasn't, you know, and that he's still hurting, you know, but as normal, he provides a lot of comic relief along the way. And Thor is one of my more favorite characters uh, of the Avengers. So, uh, and I, I definitely enjoyed this this incarnation of Thor. I liked it. I thought it it fit well for where he should be at this moment in time. With all that he's lost, I agree with that. Absolutely. And to to get back to uh, where the movie leaves off, I believe it was uh, just a little bit past when Cassie and Scott meet. Yep. And you uh, you get. I think the next scene is you. Uh, <clears throat> You get the Captain America support group, and you get all the uh, the survivors <laughs> talking about their, you know, being survivors. And if you didn't notice, the guy, the 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 gay guy who was talking about going on a date, that was actually one of the directors of the last oh. like four major. I think that was uh, I might be wrong, but I think that was Joe Russo as that no, character. That. Yeah, and that actually marks like the first officially openly gay character in the Marvel Universe, which is something that I never even, I read that online, I was like, what? Like, I could, you know, you kind of assume that they're gay people. I'm like, no, I guess that was the first openly gay character. But it was it was a nice little little human moment. Like, I don't know. I, I feel like I'd be different, mainly because there are so many people in my life, personally, that I wouldn't mind seeing, you know, snapped out of existence. Like, well, hold on. When you get the gauntlet, I have a list of names Maybe uh, maybe we forget them. They don't come back. That's so, one thing. So I have a question for you as the source material expert of this podcast. Um, maybe you can tell me a little bit about how the snap works. Well, um, the whole background behind Thanos is not even the, the source material reasons for why he wants. So basically in the comic books, Thanos is obsessed with death. And in the Marvel comic books, death is a beautiful woman. So he's obsessed okay. with her. And she's not really into him because she's living. She's death. So she doesn't really want him. So to kind of get death to stop spurning his affections, he decides to collect the Infinity Stones, which in the comic books are called Infinity Gems, to kill, you know, pretty much do the same thing, but for different reasons, to kill half the universe just to impress death. So in the comic books, Thanos is flexing just to, you know, he's showing out, he's stunting for death just to... For her affections. And so there's a couple of ways, like, you know, the whole thing about in the movies about him using the stones to destroy the stones in the comic books. You can't do that because in the comic books, uh, Nebula actually, I think it's, I believe it's called Infinity Wars. or so I think it's the same title as the movies, but Nebula ends up getting her hands on the gauntlet and tries to do the same thing, only to discover that you can't use the gauntlet to destroy the gems or stones. And so, yeah, it's kind of, it's different. It doesn't work like that. Thanos, if I believe, he doesn't even snap in the comic books. Like, he does something else, you know? Okay. 
Well, so let me let me see if I understand the snap then in the context of the movies. So he does the snap at the end of Infinity War and it wipes out half of living creatures everywhere. Correct. But I believe that it has the snap is something where you have to be a hundred percent sure. You have to have a, a, a thought in your head and have to be concrete and cancel out every other thought. You have to, it's the sheer concentration of will. So Thor, or not Thor, Hulk tried to snap and it didn't work. No, Hulk snapped and it worked. He just couldn't bring Natasha back. That's right. Okay, so he snapped and it worked and he couldn't bring Natasha back. And he said, I tried to bring Natasha back. And I guess my question for you is, is there some concept that you can control who goes and comes with the snap? If you think about it, is that what he's implying? Or was that just, is he implying that that's what he was so do you actually have any control over who goes away or comes back? When well, or is it just random? I think they brought, you know, they stated in the movie, bring back everybody that was lost in the snap. Right. And, you know, so people like, you know, people like Vision, who was murdered with Thanos' bare hands and Loki and all the Asgardians at the beginning of Infinity War, couldn't be brought back and the stipulation with the soul stone is it's a straight up you know red skull explains a very bare right. bones explanation it's a it's a it's, it's a soul, soul for a soul right you know like that is you there is no to quote thanos you know no more resurrections the snap can only bring back you know all the life in the universe that had been snapped out of existence so anybody that had died you know not natural causes but have died you know adjacent to the snap they weren't being brought back, especially Natasha and Gamora. You know, they were both okay. at different times sacrificed. And I, uh-huh. I don't really understand completely the uh, the workings of the Soul Stone, but I do understand that very basic information that you just can't. But okay. I'm curious with at the end of the movie with Tony Snap, if that because if Thanos that that Thanos is from the past, like way like right after the first Avengers passed. So if he never exists in that timeline, then that has to mean that Gamora never gets sacrificed. Basically, this movie negates everything that happens in Infinity War. So that means that Gamora has to be alive. And if Steve Rogers returned the Soul Stone to... Like, it's a little hazy on how that works. Because if he returned the Soul Soul Stone to Vormir... Uh, then that that also negates Natasha's soul sacrifice. So it's a little a little hazy on that. But yeah, the way I understand it, when Hulk because he snapped okay. and he he did it, you know, that's right, that's right. Birds, he, that's right. He did it, but I think with the the way that the Soul Stone works is that the you know there ain't there ain't no coming back from that. That right. like that's a done and done kind of thing. Okay. But it does raise the question and the eyebrows that if Steve returned it then, you know, if it's a soul for a soul, then you should get Natasha. Natasha should be out there roaming around so she can more. So, back to what you were saying. That's Yeah, so you were saying that we had that um, Steve Rogers uh, support group. Yes, you had the support group, and then the next scene... Well, you were mentioning Joe Russo, uh, you think, was a director that was there uh, being openly gay character in the Marvel movie. Like I said, after after I saw it, I started to read a lot about it, and apparently they are going to, there's going to be two openly gay 
Marvel superheroes. One's going to come out a major character the next year, and then there's going to be either a new character introduced um, that we haven't met yet, or, or or another one is going to turn out to be gay as well. But definitely, yes. Russo brothers had said they they said that there's going to be one openly, at least one character coming out this next year, one main Avengers character. So I wonder who that's going to be. Should be interesting, you know. I, uh, I don't know. I think everybody has the right to be represented fairly. It's just that for you know, as long as time's been going on, it's mostly been white people getting the fair shake of representation. So, sure, you know, and, you know, if you want to stay, it's it's unfortunate, but um, I think you'd probably tend to agree a lot of the comic books that people uh, grew up with love and endure were written by white guys with white characters. Um, it's very true. You it's know, very true. Uh, especially the stuff that was done in the thirties, forties, fifties, and sixties. Oh that's, man. Sure, that's when they were saying that Cap was saying it was okay to slap a Jap. Like, right. You know, dark shit. I mean, look at, I mean, look at your favorite character is a white guy, you know, Superman, even though he's an alien, he's a white guy. I mean, it's, you know, so and the, they're all written by white guys. I mean, Stan Lee is, you know, definitely a white guy. Or white I think guy. Stan Lee was a was. I thought he was Jewish. Well, yeah, but I, I mean, I guess you know, it's debatable on on. I mean, they debate, you know, what what Jewish is. I mean, I, you know, I'm Jewish, but I still have Caucasian skin. So I mean, I, I mean, I don't think of myself as white European, you know, Anglo-Saxon for sure. But you know, I mean, if we're all based upon our the tone of our skin, I'm Caucasian, you know, I mean, I don't, there's no box on uh, race form for Jewish, you know, there's other, you can mark other and write in Jewish, but there's no box for Jewish on, uh, you know, in a race form. Or on a, Which you know. is in itself very fucked up. Yeah, of course it is. So, um, you know, so, I mean, I think of Stanley, you know, even though he's a good Jew, I think of him as a white guy, basically. I mean, so, I mean, you know, that's, it's definitely an issue. Um, and so I'm, you know, yeah, I mean, I'm all for more representation uh, again, as long as it's organic and doesn't feel forced, you know, I mean, I, you know, to take a character that is well entrenched and has had comic books written about them for, you know, 20 or 30 years has a, you know, a, a fairly strong origin story and then, because now it's, you know, a big deal or it's the thing to do is to be, you know, inclusive and have, you know, gay characters to, to either turn somebody gay or whatever would be kind of an odd thing to do. So we'll just have to see the way they do it. It just has to be done the right way. Yeah, it has to be organic. It can't feel forced. Like, part of me feels like it might be Captain Marvel, but that would jive with the character because in the comic books, you know, later on, she and Rhodey, aka War Machine, become a couple. Ah, you know, interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, so I could, I could see it being Captain Marvel, but then again, you know, could just as easily be someone like a fucking Rocket Raccoon or somebody like you know. You never know where the guy. I have go a with feeling. I, I, I have a feeling that you're probably closer to correct. My guess is is that the first one is going to be a woman, and I only say that because I think that. Uh, people mainstream people that are not um super uh tolerant still um 
have less of an issue with lesbians than they do with gay men. Yeah, there is an over-sexualization of lesbianism. You know, where, where lesbianism is okay and gay men are still is gross, you know. Yep, that's I that's you know, it's a weird thing that uh it's, So it wouldn't surprise me if it's a woman. Yeah, you know. We'll see. Hopefully it's done well, done tastefully. But so back to the movie. Okay, we uh yeah, then after the support group we we catch up, you know, Natasha is basically the head of what remains of the Avengers, the Avengers running point. And you have uh who is it? You got Rocket on hologram. You got uh, fucking Nebula. You got Captain Marvel. You got Rhodey. And you've got, I think, yeah, I think that's everybody in there reporting. Oh, you got uh, Okoye from Wakanda. And uh, you have them all reporting uh, on the various situations, you know, kind of being kept abreast of the situation. And then that's where you get the... Hey. Yeah. So we, uh, that's where we learned that... uh, Hawkeye or, you know, they never actually call him Hawkeye in the movie. We're learning that Clint Barton has been going on a global killing spree. And, uh, yeah, you have Natasha begging Brody to track him down. So I was a little unclear on exactly who he's killing. He's just killing anybody. He's killing criminals, like people that kind of don't deserve to. Right. Deserves to be killed, in his opinion. Anybody. Yeah. Okay. That's and what I'm, I thought. I'm not going to lie. I don't disagree with that. If you're out there, you know, killing and murder is wrong, unless in extreme defenses of, you know, if someone ever came at my daughter or something like that, and it was egregious enough, I'd probably kill you for it, you know. But I still believe that murder is wrong. But, hey, if you're going to be out there serial killing people, you know, clip a couple pedophiles, a couple rapists or women beaters or, you know, Yakuza and cartel, you know, they or scum of the earth anyways. It's not like, you know, they've already proven that they're kind of subhuman, so I don't really disagree with, you know, the fact that he's murdering these terrible people. I just think that, you know, murder, like, he kind of goes off the fucking deep end a little bit, in my opinion, to go that Yeah, far. no, I think it's fitting for his character. His character is, or at least, you know, the Hawkeye in the movies has been kind of this brooding um, kind of, you know lone wolfish but part of the team kind of standoffish with the chip on his shoulder kind of attitude the whole time I, at least in my opinion that's how I, he came off um, and uh, you know so it seems Clinton Barton is the perfect guy to flip out and go on a vigilante killing spree when he loses everybody around him. He he has that kind of personality. It seemed to be fitting for his character. Yeah, it worked. It worked for me. Uh, what didn't work is that they don't even explain the, the, the costume he's wearing in the comic books. That whole storyline is born, I think, uh, he loses someone dear to him in the comic books. The character's called Ronan. He's a very badass. That's the one that revitalized uh, Clint Barton. And actually what had happened is in the comic books, there was a storyline called Avengers Disassembled, where Wanda Maximoff, where in the comic book she's a mutant, but you know her as one of the miracles created by Baron Von Stucker and in the beginning of Age of Ultron. She, she has like a fucking breakdown and like kills a bunch of people, blows up Avengers Mansion. So Clint is reported dead, 
But, you know, then you start hearing about this badass character named Ronan who's going around pretty much doing what Clint's doing in the movies. And so my disappointment with that, I love the evolution of Clint Burton, but I hate that not only do they not let him use his name, but they kind of don't even really fucking explain. Like, you get that one badass scene of him killing people. And by the way, that Japanese guy that he killed before Natasha showed up, he was one of the bad guys in Hugh Jackman's The Wolverine. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And the little, little bit of cross-brand synergy, yeah. But, uh, I, I, you know, with a movie like this, I had a lot of boxes to check and not a lot, a lot of time for certain side characters to get some exposition. But I really felt like it was almost a disservice to have him wearing that costume if you weren't even going to try to deep dive into what that costume means. But then again, well, that's the division between comic book and movie fans. And again, this is one of those scenes where, you know, I, I, you know, we're going to probably have split opinions on this, but the movie was too long. There were stuff that could have been cut. Uh, the opening scene with the Barton family could have been cut. This, you know, they could have just simply said, you know, that they found Clint. I, they could have done it in a way that took up less time. I didn't need all of the, all of the, the interaction with him, all background vigilante stuff that took up extra time. I mean, I just. It just I, sounds like, like you don't enjoy a long movie. Well, I definitely here's what I here's what I I don't mind a long movie if the movie um it feels like it's not a long movie. I don't And it's funny cuz to me it didn't feel like 3 hours. See, to me it felt like 5 hours. Yeah, see, WrestleMania to me felt like 20 fucking hours. Right. See, and I, I it wasn't a bad 5 hours. It just felt really 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 long. And it felt like it either could either cut a bunch of shit out and put it into 2 hours, which you could have done and it still would have been a great film, or make it two films. I I mean, I don't know how you do that, but it's too much you're trying to do too much. You're either not giving enough to stuff that needs enough needs more explanation. Uh, and so tweak it out and make it even a little bit longer and, and make it two movies or cut all that extra shit out that you're not really going to address appropriately and make it two hours and just get to the point. I mean, in my honest to God opinion, you could have almost started that movie at the time heist. Uh, I feel like there are things that were important to build up to that because we have the stuff with Tony, you know, you know, after <clears throat> the meeting, then Scott comes back and you get all that. He explains it. Then they go to find Tony where we meet little Miss Morgan Stark, which is that's just officially number two in the times where I got a little misty eyed. Yeah. And uh, he says basically like, fuck, no, I'm not going to do it. Like, I don't want to sacrifice my little piece of of uh, forever and serenity for other people, which is, you know, it kind of plays with Tony Stark's character, you know, yeah, a I mean, little I bit. You know, I mean, I don't. You know, I know that Tony Stark is, um, you know, uh, tends to be, you know, selfish uh, in the beginning. But, uh, you know, because he he ultimately always seems to uh, recognize the error of his, his first initial way or belief and comes around and does the right thing at the end. And And, you know, I mean... You knew from the minute that Cap and them showed up at Tony's house and said, we need your help, and he said no, that he was going to help them. I mean, 
not only because it's an Avengers movie, but because he's Tony Stark. Sure, he's going to say no in the beginning, but then he's going to realize that he has to, you know. And and I and think that. he didn't realize until he saw the picture of him and Peter, and with the help of Pepper, who has been like his uh, emotional sand sounding board for all of these years. Because without right. Pepper, Tony could have easily slipped down a Obadiah Stane like path. No, I think that's very true. I think that's very true. So, I mean, again, I mean, you know, I, I, you know, I, I can see where you're putting the movie together and you're trying to tell the story and, and you see the necessity for those scenes. I just, from a viewing perspective, and it's not bad film, it's just, it, it feels a little unnecessary when the movie is that long. You know, the movie wasn't even that much longer than Avengers uh, Infinity War. I think that was a two-hour and 35 or 40-minute movie. Yeah, which I felt the same way about. I mean, I I felt like, you know, I tend to believe that there are, I mean, I'm hypercritical of stuff. I mean, there is, is, um, you know, in almost every movie I see, there are scenes that could be cut and should be cut. and, 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 you know, anything over... I, you know, I, I guess, I mean, I, 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 I truly believe, although I'm non-diagnosed, I truly believe I have ADD. Um, my attention span is just not, and it gets less and less every day, but I just very rarely does a movie hold my attention for the whole two hours, let alone a whole three hours. And there were points in this where I was like, eh, you know, okay, I can kind of take or leave that scene. And I don't want to feel that way about a movie that I'm, super anxious to see like i don't i don't like feeling like that i like i want to be i just think you can do things in a more concise way yeah you know everybody i my attention was held captive and the truest testament i saw was that the second time no the third time i saw the movie there was a mother and a couple little kids sitting in front of me and they couldn't have been more than five or six. And I know, like you probably know, that five or six-year-old's attention spans are shit. Like you can't hold their attention for more than a couple minutes. And they held all their attention for the entire three hours, which I was very impressed because they're so so tiny, such tiny little human beings. And you know, I know how they are where they just, they got to constantly be stimulated. And I, even the third time, okay, so the third time, the only thing that made me kind of be like, okay, I know what's going on. Like, come on, hurry up. Is that I got a really fucked up back and my back hates me. You know, I, I, I said previously that I was going to go see the movie six times. I think I only have, you know, one more bullet left in the chamber. And then I'm going to have to call the day until it comes home to video. Cause uh, my back does not like sitting in those fucking stiff ass chairs. Yeah. I mean, I won't, you know, my brother, uh, we, <laughs> I, my brother said to me, you want to go, we talked about going to see it and we decided we were going to go see it. And he said, you know, why don't you see if dad wants to meet us over there? Um, and I said, or, or he said, you know, we should see if dad wants to go. And I said, all right. And we both thought that we had reached out to our dad and neither of us got it together to do that. 
And so after the movie, I talked to my dad and I said, hey, we just came from the movie. I'm so sorry. We both thought that we were going to, the other one was going to tell you that we were going to see it. And he was like, oh, I was going to, I actually thought about asking you guys if you guys wanted to go see it today. And so my brother went and saw it. He, we went on Monday and saw it. And then he went again on Tuesday with my dad and saw it. And he asked me if I wanted to go when I got off work. You know, they would wait. And I said, no, I can't do it again. I, I, I'm not going to see it again in the theater. It's just too long. Even in comfortable seats, it's just too it's it's just too much it's too it's not it wasn't um i wasn't disappointed i enjoyed it um uh it just wasn't worth spending another three hours at ten dollars for a ticket to see it again in the theater it just it didn't have that big an impact on me i'll i'll i will buy it on dvd when it comes out and I will watch it, you know, I'm sure numerous times on DVD as I have uh, the original Avengers, as I have uh, Age of Ultron and Infinity Wars. Uh, I own them all. I've watched them all numerous times and I'll do the same with Endgame, but I'm not going to see it again in the theater. Yeah, it's understandable. It is a uh, tremendous undertaking. I, uh, I saw the third time my girlfriend, I told her, I was like, my back is not happy with me right now. Like my back hates me. Uh, yeah, it's just and it's emotion. You know, I mean, the first time I saw it, and maybe you know, it's probably a little bit different the second and third time, but maybe not, especially not in the theater when you're around people that are probably seeing it for the first time. It'll definitely be a lot different when I see it at home by myself. Um, but it's an emotional roller coaster. I mean, I felt exhausted afterwards, I literally felt exhausted it was a long day I, I i woke up in the morning prepped to go see it we were going to see it i was excited i smoked i got nice and high went in sat down we got there you know a half hour early to make sure that we didn't have any issues with our seats get our popcorn get all situated so you're there a half hour before you're all geared up to go then it's you know three hours and, and 10 minutes by the time you actually walk down and get out of the theater and you're exhausted you know you've been you've cried a couple times and and you know you're tired and, and it's exhausting i mean it's it's like you know yeah i mean i felt like i had i don't know worked all day or been dealing with something stressful with my family or you know i mean it was it, it had that same kind of feeling to it i mean it was enjoyable i enjoyed it i just it was tiring and stressful it felt like i had been on an on an emotional roller coaster for for four or five hours and so uh that you know and i uh, it'll be different when I see it at home because I've already seen it the first time, you know, you don't know what's going to happen and it's all new. So it hits you the first time. I mean, I'm sure I'll still be emotional, but it'll be different. Um, but I don't know. Did you experience the same emotion the second and third times you saw it? Yeah. Theater? Which is yeah. strange. Like even, you know, listen, Kevin Smith has a podcast. I've been hearing other people talk about it. And one of the moments like, you know, the, the what's weird because the first time that Tony dies, like, I had already resigned myself to that. It was almost a necessary evil. So the Why first time it happened, I didn't cry. You know, I didn't cry at that. But then the second and third times, like, yeah, especially just fucking... And it's such a, like, the way that the different characters react, it's, it's, it's weird to me because Rhodey is just, you know, he's kind of, like, patting him like he did it. He, like, he already accepts it. Then Peter shows up. And, you know, it's Peter, so you know how Peter's going to react. And Pepper is a little bit of mix, a mixture of the way that Rhodey acts as well as the way Pepper acts. And But even hearing other people talk about, like, the scene that really gets to me, and a lot of people are like, really? And I'm like, yes, fucker. 
is the scene where Peter is, be, is fending off the Chitari and they overwhelm him and then Carol shows up to pretty much end the war and Peter says, you know, I don't know how you're going to get it. You know, excuse me if I choke up a little bit. But she says, hey, I heard you have something for me. And he's like, yeah. And he stands up and you see the horde coming. <clears throat> and she, he says, I don't know how you're going to get it through all of that. And then I think uh, Scarlet Witch lands. And then you see Valkyrie. Scarlet Witch lands. And then you see Okoye. And she says, uh, don't worry. She's not alone. And then you get this fucking wide panel shot of every single Marvel female all gearing up. And then you get at the last minute, you get Hope Van Dyne showing up as the wasp popping out of thin air. And it's just one of every fucking time, even people talk about it, like I'm trying not to cry right now, talking about it. It's such a beautiful, powerful scene like that. That is the scene out of all five times that I cried that still fucking gets me like, yeah, it's weird. It's still, it's still the same emotion there. Like, when the first time, as comparison, the first time I saw The Dark Knight Rises in the theaters, I cried at the end of the movie, not because it was assumed that Batman died, but just because the trilogy was ending. You know, it was a different emotion. And that, I got over it, you know. But this one, I don't know why. It's just like, there are certain scenes I hear being talked about. You know, I was watching, people keep bootleg- bootlegging it to YouTube. So I was watching another scene that, that got me, like, made me start fucking weeping was when uh, Cap grabs Thor's hammer and then, but Thanos pretty much beats him. He breaks the shield and shit. And Cap is laying there, and I really thought he was gonna fucking kill Go. Captain America. And then you hear Sam Wilson say, yeah, "Steve on your left," and everybody starts showing up. That shit had me fucking crying too. And still, like watching, I was watching on the bus on YouTube, and I had to fucking turn it off because I was starting to tear up on the fucking bus. Yeah, no, I mean, there were a, a lot of emotional, powerful scenes. Like I said, it felt like an emotional roller coaster. It felt like I had been, you know, dealing with hard emotional stuff with my family all day by the time it was over. Um, and was, uh, was my description, my, my brief description of what, the movie, what I thought the movie was about, did that ring true for you at all? So, yeah, so there's a lot of emotional scenes in this movie. I, you know, I didn't... I, when all of the women showed up, I was more like, uh, hell yeah, you know, like fired up more like, uh, let's get it, you know, as opposed to um, tearful at that point. But uh, that's, I thought that that was um, perhaps in a movie with a lot of powerful scenes, that might have been the most powerful for me was all of the women showing up just because of the impact that it has and and what it means just in general you know i mean it well beyond just the context of the movie which is cool to see all the women superhero characters you know in one team kind of or one group fighting together that's awesome but just what it means for women and breaking the glass ceiling and female actresses and women empowerment and all of that stuff it's it's such a a, a refreshing thing to see that I thought that was probably the most powerful scene in the movie for me. Absolutely. And because I saw the movie, so I saw it, well, I don't know what they call that night. It's not opening day. It's like the, the sneak preview night, I guess, you know, when they premiered on Thursday. And it right, used to yeah, be yeah. way back when that they would only premiere a movie Thursday night. Like you could only have a showing between, you know, nine at night 
or like when midnight that started, midnight, yeah. And now they have you know sneak Two previews or three or... that fucking yeah. I went and saw it, you know, sneak preview at seven o'clock at night, and right. I uh, there's there's just such a crazy energy that I don't think I'll ever experience some shit like that again, you know, because I saw it sneak preview night, then I saw it opening night, and then I saw it Sunday night. So I thought saw it Thursday, Friday, and Sunday, and. I really enjoyed, even though some some lines of dialogue I couldn't hear, I really enjoyed, you know, like, for instance, when Cap, it's revealed that Cap is worthy of Melnir, uh, everybody in the fucking theater lost their fucking shit. And that's what it made it so great, is riding that wave of emotion with a full fucking theater. I mean, the theater was so packed, I had to sit three three rows up from the screen, kind of on the left. So my vision, my field of vision was kind of shitty for it, you know, because I was sitting at an angle, but it was right. still... It was amazing. And yeah, like everybody, I wish that I, you know, it probably seems weird if you're walking to someone with your phone, like, hey, you know, you got a couple minutes to give me your opinion on my podcast. Like, I'm not going to do anything creepy with your voice. So I didn't <laughs> ask anybody else about their opinions on the movie. And I wish that I had because, man, like there was people were fucking feeling the full force of emotion with that one. It was just such a, because, you know, I went back the next night, opening night. And I kind of got a better seat. I got to sit right in the middle of the theater. So I had a fucking clear field of vision. And I was like, you know, as shitty as my seat was, I miss all that intense energy from the sneak preview. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when we went, there wasn't, uh, the theater definitely wasn't full. I would say there was, you know, probably about 25 or 30 people there. But we went at like 10.30 a.m. on a Monday. So. Okay. You know, when most people are at work and kids are at school and that kind of stuff. So, and, and, and I, I kind of wanted to go at, at, at a time when I thought that it would be fairly empty. You know, I can appreciate um, the crowd vibe, you know, both at a movie or at concerts or live sporting events. I just don't do crowds like that. I'm just not a big crowd person. I prefer to go to the theater, to an empty theater myself. Um, so, I was happy that um, it wasn't super packed and that there wasn't a whole lot of people to have to, to contend with. Um, yeah. I, you know, it was, uh, it was um, an emotional movie. And when, when cap picked up the hammer, I thought, yeah, I mean, obviously that's fitting again. I'm not a, a big source material guy. I don't know if that happens in the comic. It happens like a couple times in the comic books. He's worthy. But, you know, I mean, it's, you know, I mean, the, the concept that, you know, you have to be pure of heart in order to, to, to wield it and, and to, you know, to be worthy enough to, to, to wield it, that's definitely Cap, if there's going to be anybody. I mean, shit, if Thor can do it, Cap's definitely pure of heart, you know, <laughs> so, um, or, you know, worthy. So I, I thought that that was, seemed to be a, a, uh, a fitting little um, part to the story. And obviously seeing Cap, with the hammer is a really cool scene. Uh, seeing him use it's really cool. The hammer is cool in general. Um, so yeah, I mean, I enjoyed all that stuff. Yeah. So we uh, we don't have to get super long with the you know. There's a time heist. What do you feel? Because I actually talked to some people, and one of the guys at my job said that he didn't like how fan servicey that the whole time heist aspect of the movie was. What do you feel about that? Like going back to the Battle of New York and going back to the Dark World and the Again, beginning of Guardians. I, you know, I thought that um, 
when I when they showed up and killed Thanos and he admitted he didn't have the stones anymore, I thought, well shit, what are they gonna do? You know, how are they going to what what are they gonna do? I didn't I it, it hadn't dawned on me. I hadn't thought at all that Scott Lang might pop up and say that there's a way to do this in the quantum world. So I thought that that twist was um, original. Um, I, you know, I, I have done um, some extensive uh, reading on physics and quantum physics. And so uh, you know, what they talk about about time, the little bit that I know about quantum physics holds up to pretty accurate to what scientists truly believe about time in the quantum realm. Now, no one has said that you could use the quantum realm as a time travel mechanism the way that they did it in this movie. Um, but the idea that time is infinitely different and or doesn't exist at the quantum level is definitely um, a viable scientific theory uh, amongst quantum physicists in the real world. And so that's a legitimate scientific concept to present in the film. Um, I, you know, again, being a long film, I don't need the shots of going back to New York. I don't, you could have done all that in a way that, that, cut a bunch of that stuff out and shortened it down um uh, you know you have to do something to um get the stones once you know thanos doesn't have them once you've determined as the the writers of the story that thanos isn't going to have them anymore and that they're not going to get them back from him in that traditional sense of just taking him taking them off of him um uh, after the snap um that you have to come up with some sort of plot mechanism and story mechanism for them to be able to acquire the stones and, and go back in time and bring these people back, which is what obviously has to happen. So, uh, you know, the time heist is as good a concept as I guess they probably could have come up with. I mean, I, I'm, I've been thinking since then, could I think of something on my own in my imagination that would um, be a decent story concept for how to get you know what to do in that situation in lieu of a time heist and i can't think of anything i think it plays fairly well uh again i don't think we needed all of those shots of all the previous battles and all that stuff uh could have cut all that stuff out and done in a way that made the whole thing shorter but the time heist the concept itself i thought was okay i liked it i uh i think it was it's true that it was fan service but it wasn't fan service necessary in a way to all the people that it, well, it was to people that have been through this this whole franchise from the beginning but it was more so fan service to people like me because that is very much something that you would see in in a in a avengers comic book dealing with time you know going back and i like all that things if we, if they didn't have those scenes you wouldn't get like yeah i was saying without those scenes you wouldn't get like probably the best line out of the movie of ant-man you know, there's a part after they corner Loki in the original Avengers at the end of that movie, and Tony makes a comment that Cap's original suit did nothing for his aunt, his ass, and Ant-Man says, as far as he's concerned, Cap's ass is America's ass, which is just so funny. 
and then Cap agrees with Ant-Man after he fights himself and it's kind of like looking at himself like that is America's ass. You know, without those scenes, you wouldn't get comedy gold like that. That was just too fucking funny. And again, you just, you know, Ant-Man doesn't have to be the most powerful Avenger because he's always going to bring the fire with the comic relief. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I, I thought that that was a funny scene. I definitely laughed at that, you know, that's America's ass. That, you know, I mean, I thought that that was a funny scene. And another I, great... Oh, go ahead. It, 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 for me, it, it's still not... Um, you know, I think you have enough comic relief in other places where it's it works more organically with the story, linear storyline that's flowing in a fashion that you don't need a bunch of other stuff. I mean, I, I, I as much as I like that line, I, and and you know, I mean, I, it, there's for me, there's enough other other comic relief that we could have done without having to see that scene per se. And cut those few minutes out of the whole movie. <laughs> yeah, you know, to each their own, I suppose. Uh, I really liked the part where they go back to the opening credits of Guardians of the Galaxy. It's that without the credits. And then you just see Peter Quill singing and dancing. And for a moment, like, I thought Rhodey was trying to figure out what song he was singing because it's not his head. And he just turns to Nebula and he's like, so he's an idiot then. <laughs> and then he's doing the thing from Guardians 1 and they smack him upside the head. I thought that was just fucking great. And then Rhodey's line, which is like basically a call a call out or shout out to Indiana Jones about there being death traps with spikes and there'd be skeletons on them and his whole approach to, you know, when you hear something like the, the, the fucking temple of the Power Stone, you know, they're going to be booby traps. And I thought that was great too. Like I didn't, I, I, lo- I liked it. They were able to play me and I enjoyed, uh, you know, all the time travel on that. That marks time number four where I cried was the whole situation with. Uh... No, I thought that was a I thought that was a beautiful moment with Thor and his mom. And I thought that he needed that. That was more another part of his journey. It was a great line of there where she knows it's not her Thor. And she says, you're from the future. And he's like, I'm not. And he starts crying. He's like, I'm totally from the future. And that was funny and sweet, you know. And you get the part with with Rocket uh, running out after poking uh, Natalie Portman probably somewhere to get the ether. And then Thor finding out, you know, I never never would have thought that he wouldn't have thought himself worthy. So that was another sweet moment for him to kind of get some relief or, you know, proof from the universe that he was he hadn't fucked up as badly by you know reaching out for Milner and it coming to him and then yeah, you also no, get you also get Loki disappearing which you know creates a new timeline because if you remember in the beginning of of uh, of um, Infinity War Thanos snaps Loki's neck and then he mutters no more no more uh, resurrections, which is a, a straight shit talk to Loki because that man's died more times than anybody in the MCU. So with that one scene, the, the battle in New York in the lobby of Loki grabbing the time stone and disappearing, uh, not only does that set up something new, but if you didn't know, he's going to get his own series on Disney Plus when they launch. So I would bet my bottom and my top dollar that uh, that's what that series Who is, is going to be. Uh, Tom Hiddleston's Loki character. Oh, I didn't know that. 
Yeah, there's going to be a Hawkeye series, a Scarlet Witch and Vision series, a Loki series, and a, uh, I guess, the new Captain America and the Winter, Winter Soldier series. Interesting. Yeah. And so, yeah, like, I, I didn't have a problem with, uh, with the whole time heist part of the movie. Like, after the third time, I definitely knew that by the time they started that shit that we were in the second act. And I kind of, like, I, I really preferred the third act of the movie. Well, yeah, I do, too. And, I mean, I think, again, that, that stretches back to my problem with the length of the movie in general is that the fact that, you know, the the third hour is really the best part of the film tells you that the first two are uh, probably, you know, in terms of, you know, maybe storytelling they're necessary, but as far as visual on the screen and, and running time, it's probably uh, the slower part of the film, which means that it it could have been trimmed more, I think. I think the movie is fine. It's a three hours and one minute, I think. And, you know, call me crazy, but I know they've got extra shit, and I'd love to see a fucking, like, the complete master director's cut version. You know, give me a fucking four-hour <laughs> Avengers movie. Like, I'll fucking yeah. take you on. I might smoke myself out and fall asleep, and the movie will play when I'm sleeping, but I'll still come back to it. Like, I know they got more shit out there that they didn't put in the movie, you know? I'm sure, sure. I'm sure there's hours and hours of films, that, you know, scenes that they didn't um, put in the film, which just tells you how much, how much they, how much time they spent shooting the film. I mean, I, you know, on DVD in my home, I would watch a director's cut. You know, I, I'm, I'm much more uh, apt to watch a four-hour director's cut but definitely not in the theater. Yeah, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. I think three hours just stretch the boundaries of what most people can accept. But then you think about it, and like, man, those Lord of the Rings movies were close to, damn near close to that. And then if you watch the extended complete cuts, they were definitely over three-hour movies. And then I try to compare it to oh. things like, at work, I sat for the entire eight-hour shift. And that was way too much for me. There's There are other things that, you know, I do, whether it's watching WrestleMania or things, where I try to compare it. And the difference between, the reason it didn't feel like uh, three hours with the Avengers was because I was engaged. It had me fully locked in. And the difference between that and WrestleMania is that, you know, as I've stated before, I kind of, I'm in a hate-hate relationship with the WWE. And so it's, a, it's not a labor of love. It's just a fucking labor. And it felt like, I, like I said, that, move, that, that fucking pay-per-view felt like 10-plus hours like it was never going to fucking end, where the Avengers was over way too soon. And I, I do admit that at the end, like, they kind of have three different endings. And it, it kind of makes sense for the, the, the trinity of the Marvel Universe. So you get Tony's ending, which is a funeral, where you get everybody there at the funeral. Then you get Steve's ending where you find out that he decided to live a full life. He got finally got to have that one last dance with Peggy. And they get Thor's ending, where it doesn't seem like, I don't know what's going on with that, but it seems like he might be in Guardians 3. But at that, by the time that Thor's ending came around, I'm like, okay, you're kind of, you're, you're starting to test me. And then I foolishly ended up staying after the credits, which was, as right. I told you, a fool's errand. Where, I mean, there was a little thing, but you had to really listen where it just, like I said, it sounded like the metal clanging against metal from when Tony was building the Mark I and Iron Man 1. Right. Yeah, so, I mean, I don't, you know, I, there are, 
um, in almost every movie, especially the Lord of the Rings movies, there was a lot of scenes that could have been cut that were really slow, and those movies were way too long, too. You know, I I, I am a firm believer in the fact that um, anything over, you know, it doesn't okay time time really isn't the deciding factor it's it's the strength of the story but i've come to discover over my years of watching movies and reading books that the longer a movie or the longer a book the better chance there is of being some sort of slow point um you know very rarely in a half hour tv show although you can get them uh, if it's a badly written show, very rarely in a half hour TV show, do you have a, a, a down a down spot or a, a slow spot because it's such a condensed uh, amount of time that it's easy to fill with with excitement the whole time. When you're trying to fill three hours or 400, 500, 600, 1500 pages in a book, you have to put in by default, it just is what it is. Not every minute intense, edge of your seat action or drama. So, you know, I mean, I like the stuff with Thor's mom. And, I, you know, I didn't necessarily have to have it. But, it, it, you know, if you're going to... If you're going to make a three-hour film and you're going to add in all the little extra stuff, I'm glad that they put in that that stuff with Thor and his mom. I thought it was it was well done. Yeah, it's a sweet little bookend to the uh, the evolution of his character. I feel like in the context of the movie, it was definitely needed. You know, because at the up until that point, he was at a very low point. Like if we had friends in real life, that would be the point where an intervention was being discussed. Sure, definitely. So uh, back to kind of where we were in just storyline, we were talking about the time heist. They've got stuff. Yeah. Um, so then you know we they get all the uh, so they they kind of fuck up. Cap gets and that's another perfect moment. That's a straight up shout out because in the comic books, Captain America, there's the evil version of him, and he became part of Hydra. So you know that was that was a funny moment. And it kind of played at least in my expectations. Cause I don't know if you remember Winter Soldier, but there's that one badass moment where a uh, cat fights all those same guys in an elevator and it completely wipes the floor with all of them. And so they subverted my expectations. because I thought that was going to happen again, but he just whispers in Jasper Sitwell's ear, hail Hydra. And they're all like, holy fuck. And, you know, they get the scepter, but Tony fumbles the time stone. So they have to go back and... Cap briefly encounters Peggy, and Tony has a full-blown encounter with his fucking father. Yeah, which was an interesting scene. It's definitely... That was one of the scenes, like, if you're going to say something about cutting, like, that is, you know, seems strange, but that's one of the scenes that I didn't really need. Like, I thought that was trying to play on emotions a little too much with uh, him meeting his dad. It was, you know, it was nice. 
but it was one of those things again where I did that. that if you're going to say something slowed down the progression right. of the film, that really kind of took a little bit of the air out of it. You know, it didn't no, really I, make me feel anything. I agree. I mean, I you know, I mean, I felt some. You know, I um, the you know Tony Stark has been missing his father for a long time. His dad died, you know, ago, and so I, I felt that that connection of him talking to his dad, even though his dad, you know, has. Um, so I, I mean, I felt that from a talk to his dad's perspective, not wanting to talk to him. I felt that emotional connection, but you're right. That's another one of those scenes where, you know, there's ebb and, there's ebbs and flows in the storyline, uh, an ebb in the storyline where it's a little bit of a down tick and it takes some of the air out of the story. It's, it's not really necessary per se. I mean, it's not bad. It's wrong with it. It's just not necessary. And it, you know, five or 10 minutes that, that could have been probably cut and, and, and the movie still would have been fine. I mean, it, you wouldn't have missed anything without that scene. Um, just like you wouldn't have missed anything, you know, uh, you could have, it would have been more than fine for come back old. And you, I when he came back old, what had happened. You didn't need to see him then dance with Peggy. You know what I'm saying? Like, it was already it was already unspoken. I mean, it was already basically said what had happened. You know, I need to see it again. There's another five minutes added on to the movie that I don't need. You know, it's it's you get sometimes again more more with less. You know, when Cap was old, I already knew what had happened. He stayed and spent his life with Peggy. You know, they don't need to show the two of them dancing and hugging each other and actually show it. So I, that was the same kind of idea for me. Yeah, that's understandable. I liked that. I liked seeing that because it's just it's such a sad thing. You think about the story of Captain America and how he ends up and all that like it's so sad, you know. Besides Bucky, like everybody else that he knows is either dead or on their way to death's door. And so I felt like, you know, that was a great ending to have and it made sense. I didn't really see it going anywhere else, especially if you are going to tempt Cap with getting to be with his uh, his best girl, as he puts it. Uh, you know, I felt nothing but love for that scene. I thought it was great so, to end it. So let me ask you a quick question, um, and maybe you'll, I'm sure you'll have some input on this. So the very first time that they test the time travel, they send it's uh, Scott, right? I think they send Scott first by himself. Yeah, I'm not mistaken. And when Hulk brings him back, when Banner brings him back, it, he's looking at he's with Hope, and it brings him back. It snatches him out when they're ready for him to come back. Before he's ready, he's like, "No, no, no, I'm not." And it, and it snaps him back to the current time. How come when uh, Cap goes for five seconds. He gets fifty years in the past, and 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 it didn't. You know, five seconds later, it didn't snap him out like it did Scott Lang in the first time they he went back. Does that make sense? What I'm asking? Yeah, but they they gave him more. I believe they gave him more control over, you know, the time travel, and then they made the statement okay. that he had skipped his uh, the time mark he was supposed to be at. 
So I think right. that was just Cap like ditching the little bracelet thing for a while. Right, but then he still gets. I mean, he still reappears in five seconds. Yeah, you know that's uh, when it comes to time travel movies like X Men <laughs> DOFP made 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 less of a mess in my head than this movie. Like it it creates so many questions where I feel like X Men Days of Future Past and their way of doing time travel was very simplified and, and, and streamlined. And this one, it's like, you know, they've answered and bookended a lot of questions, but now there's just so many more. And anytime time travel gets brought up, I'm like, okay, okay, I understand. And something happens like that, I was like, I don't understand. Like, I, I don't get it. Yeah, and I don't always get it. I mean, I, I either I'm too stoned or I'm slow. I don't think of myself as a stupid person, but there are definitely sometimes I think of myself as a little slow on the uptake because I, I don't always get it. You know, they talk about, oh, this becomes an alternate timeline and that becomes an alternate timeline. So they don't exist and that doesn't. And I'm like, what? What are you? Uh, wait a second. Back it up here. I'm thoroughly confused at what's going on. So, um, and, and, you know, I think the big part of that is that time travel isn't possible practically yet. So there's no way to present it in a way that's actually tangible. I mean, it's all done in a hypothetical fictional way because that's all it is to this point. Um, and as a result, you know, trying to come up with some sort of true scientific foundation for it, which uh, there are some physicists that think it's possible. Um, we don't even understand what time is yet enough to travel in it. So um it's all just, you know, these guys trying to come up with something that seems uh, reasonable. Um, and as a result, it, it does become complex and confusing. Well, check this out. You know, if you've ever been somewhere and you travel to Japan where I believe they're either behind or head by day, that's time traveling. Sure. It's not, you know, all the fancy shit of going back decades, but time travel does exist. You got to move, just move to a different fucking time zone. But... I, this, this, you know, it not only does it negate the events of Infinity War, not just because they brought all the snapped back, but because Tony snapped the the fucking earlier version before Thanos even at the beginning of his his Infinity Quest. So snapping that out pretty much makes Guardians of the Galaxy one not valid. It, it messes with this whole neat little puzzle that they told now, you know, because going forward, especially after seeing the, uh, the Spider-Man home car, the uh, far from home trailer and theory saying that Tony snap ripped a portal into a multiverse. It's, uh, it's all confusing now. Like I'm trying to wrap my head around it. I'm a little stoned. I can't. And yeah, time travels is a motherfucker. Yeah, so I mean, other than then, then that um, being confusing and convoluted and, and not sure exactly how all those little um, uh, ripples in the time, uh, you know, line affect everything, uh, the time heist, you know, I, I liked the concept. I, I mean, I thought it was well done. Um, like I said, I had a couple issues. I didn't think we need to see all those scenes. Um where they go back, but and I and I had an issue, but I think you explained it to me a little bit with the continuity between why Cap had so much more time than Scott Lang did. But I think you're right. I mean, he he missed his checkpoint and he took off the little bracelet and so on. So I guess that that makes it a little bit more uh, understandable and believable. Uh, 
So, but yeah, no, I mean, I, you know, you have to do something. I mean, I, I don't, I, like I said, I've tried to wrap my head around and obviously I'm not, you know, the most brilliant writer or, 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 you know, story uh, plot developer. So, you know, I, I'm limited, um, but I can't think of, I mean, I, I've been trying to think of another way, you know, if I was doing this, how I might have them have to go get the stones and I couldn't think of a way that, 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 that would be any more feasible or, or any more, uh, you know, realistic or whatever. I thought it seemed odd. And I guess it's explained because Scott comes back with the information. Five years was a long, I, I don't know where I cut off, but it seemed like, uh, it seemed like five years was a long time. And I guess Scott popping back in and, and coming up with the idea, you know, having the idea because it was in the quantum realm of this being a, a, a way to make this potentially work and him not being back for five years explains the five years. But it seems to me that with as distraught as everybody was at the end of Infinity War, for them to just kind of be accepting it and not doing much in the last five years to try to resolve the situation, find Thanos, find the stones, whatever it is. Tony's just kind of moved on to his family and his kid and, and everyone's just kind of, I, I mean, they're grieving, but they've just accepted it. And there doesn't seem to be any kind of struggle to, to fix it in the past five years. They just kind of gloss over that. Which well, I after Thanos says that he, they destroyed the stones. Like I think, after Thor chopped his head off and with that information, like they had done everything they could. I think that was the whole point of that scene before the time jump is to show that they were sure they did try. Thanos just destroyed the stones. And so like they're, you know, at that point you'd just be spinning your wheels. Yeah. No, I mean, I guess that's true. I don't know. Maybe you're right. I mean, I don't know. It just seems that earth's mighty mightiest heroes would have continued to press the situation and probably, you know, they're the smartest people on the planet. They're the, you know, they're the, the strongest, the, the cleverest, you know, they would have come up with a way in five years to figure out how to resolve the issue. Um, but maybe not. I mean, maybe, you know, I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe. Well, I think after infinity War, because up until that point, Earth's mightiest heroes had never really truly been tested. They had survived Loki and the invasion. They survived fucking, you know, Ultron and that whole mess. And so I think, you know, they had to really check their egos at the door at the end of the last movie when they completely got their asses handed to them. You know, up until that point, they had never truly had a test worthy of their might and something like Thanos far exceeding, you know, at the end of the day, what they thought would be an easy win i think that was you know that also went into uh their state of mind and you know like i said when when i told you uh my opinions of what i thought the movie was ultimately about i think it's about family i think it's about acceptance of loss and it's about you know the stages whatever however many stages there are for grieving in that stage five years later beginning five years later they were trying to struggle with the acceptance stage and, you know, a little side note, I don't know if you saw Ant-Man and the Wasp more than once or not, but uh, when they save Hope's mother, she basically tells you how they're going to 
win in an in, in endgame by saying to Scott at the end of that movie before they get dusted, you know, I think she said something like, don't get t- caught in the time vortex because we won't be able to pull you out. And that right. line right there, like, pretty much just sets up, you know, I don't think a lot of people thought about it until, you know, there's there were a lot of forums of people discussing their theories on endgame. But when she said that, I'm like, oh, shit. Like, that's got to be, like, how they, uh, how they fucking get it get everybody back because i i'm I believe right that ant-man yeah ant-man the wasp uh was right after infinity war and so all the shit had already happened and so and that's another reason like i must be one of the only people who is like a straight up legit fan of those movies you know i love little cassie lang she's a cutie pie and i i just i like how those are the movies where if you don't want to be bogged down with the, the, the world weariness of something like the Avengers, go watch Scott Lang and his little self-contained adventures, you know, in San Francisco being an ex-felon superhero. Like, I, I really fucking dig those movies, and I really like, you know, did you know that the Wasp is the first, and up until Captain Marvel, she was the first and only female superhero to have her name in the title of a movie? I did not know that. Um, yeah. You know, I, I like, I, I really enjoy Paul Rudd. I think he's hysterical. I like the Ant-Man character. I like the Ant-Man movies. For me personally, just because of what I like and find entertaining, the Ant-Man, Ant-Man, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Deadpool, and Deadpool 2 have been the funniest of the, Mar- and I know the Deadpool movies are out of the canon or whatever, you know, they're not whatever, but um those are the funniest of the, those are my favorite of them just because they're so lighthearted and funny and enjoyable. And, 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 and so there's such comic relief that I, I liked them a lot. So I, I am a huge fan of, of Scott Lang, Paul Redd is Scott Alan. Yeah. Or did you move to a different room in your house? Nope. Oh, okay. It was it was your think on your end. The reception was fading out a little bit. Oh nope. Okay. Can you, you hear were me saying? now? Yeah. I was just saying that I really uh, enjoy playing for me the Ant-Man character and the Deadpool character are my two favorite Marvel universe characters, just because of the. Um, the comic relief surrounding them, the movies, the 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 overall lightness of the movies, kind of the funness, uh, and and just the yeah, the comic relief in general uh, makes those the the enjoy more enjoyable for me than some of the other stuff. Yeah, you know, I just, I can't really, you know, I understand where you're coming from. I uh, there's always like a little bit of comedy. And that's the thing about the Marvel movies, that they never are too self-serious. Even things like Captain America, Winter Soldier, Civil War, you're still going to get like a a laugh or two out of those movies. But I definitely, like I think I quoted Ant-Man as, for being the tiniest hero, that movie sure had a whole lot of heart. And it was just, just, just really good movies, especially something, some of those movies I wouldn't take my kid to see, you know, like, I wait till she was a little bit older to see things like fucking Winter Soldier, some of the more darker movies in the in the Marvel universe. 
But a movie like Ant-Man or Ant-Man and the Wasp, that's nothing but pure popcorn family fun. And so I think we're at the point in the movie where uh, they get back. Uh, yeah, they've just gotten back from the quantum realm and everybody's got their stones and Clint reveals that Natasha didn't make it back. And then they all have that moment. And I love so we, Thor's... We've, we've, we've glanced over... We haven't talked about something that has already taken place at this point that I just kind of wanted to touch on real quick was just the... the um, the hybridization of of the Banner Hulk, uh, Bruce Bruce Hulk or Hulk Banner, whatever you want to call it. Per, per, in the Professor. comics, he's called Professor Hulk. Professor Hulk, there you go. Um, I thought that that was really cool. I I like it. I mean, I I my issue, I have the same issue with the Hulk that I've had forever, which is just that in the comic books that I always read and, and everything I always knew about the Hulk was that he's unbeatable. No matter who he fights, he's just going to get bigger and stronger and, and it doesn't yeah, matter. The matter he gets, the bigger and stronger he gets. Right. And then he's basically whoever he's fighting, he's just going to be bigger and stronger than ultimately. And so they, they've never really tweaked that out in any of these movies. And so I was a little disappointed when Thanos handles them a little bit and so on. Um, and I, so I, you know, it, it, I've always had that kind of bit of disappointment with the, the way they portrayed the Hulk in these movies. But I do like Mark Ruffalo and I like the Professor Hulk character. I thought it was cool. I like the way that they did the, the CGI with him and, and, and the body, his face and the body. It looks a lot like Mark Ruffalo. Um, yeah, it's pretty damn amazing. He's always looked a little bit in the first one. You could kind of see a little bit of Mark Ruffalo. Yeah, and with this one, it really went like full on. It's almost like, a little creepy at times because it, it does look so much like him. It's not a What's creepy is that so so many women are finding themselves attracted to P- Professor Hulk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I just wanted to touch on Professor Hulk. I thought that was really cool. I like the way that they did that. Yeah, I like the scene in the diner where the kids want to take a picture with Hulk, and yeah. then. Uh, Ant-Man's like, you want to get a picture with me? He's like, I'm Ant-Man. And they're like, no. He's like, even the kid is saying no. And they're like, oh, you want to take a picture? And he's like, take the goddamn phone. All right. <laughs> yeah. I just like I how he's always like telling people, hey, you know, I'm Ant-Man. And everybody's like, who the fuck is, who the fuck right. is Ant-Man? Totally. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I don't know where you would put him in this. I don't know where he would play into it. But I, one of my favorite things about Ant-Man is is Michael Pena's character, and he's obviously not. Oh in yeah. And you do, you know. I mean, I kept kind of looking for him a little bit just because he's so funny. But want to hear more stories about him and his friend Ignacio at wine tastings? <laughs> exactly. I mean, he wouldn't. He, it doesn't fit into this film, and it would have been, you know, extra minutes that I would have complained about. But at the same time, I, I did keep kind of looking for him. every time I see Scott Lang, I think, oh, where is he? Where's Michael Pena? You know, <laughs> where's the so. <clears throat> Yeah, so I think uh, we uh, we get back. They create the gauntlet. There's a funny moment where Rocket says "boom" and it scares. Uh, I think the Hulk and and Tony, and then you get people kind of scuffling with the gauntlet. And they were, you know, as much as Thor is powerful, they were right about him not being in the right mind state to bring everybody back. And. Uh, I thought it was I thought it was interesting that Hulk was the one who had to do it. You know, one thing, one issue I did have a problem with is when Scott, when they when he does a snap, 
And Scott goes and looks out the window. And he... Like any real like torpedo or warhead that hit the the Avenger HQ, and he's like was right at the blast zone. He would have. Oh, I lost you there for a minute. Yeah, you're cutting in and out a little bit. You know? uh, kind of. You sound a little robotic. Yeah, I can't hear you at all. Nope. Not a... <laughs> nope. Nope. I mean, I can I hear beep, boop, 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 which sounds like you're trying to say something, but it just sounds like a robot voice not coming across. All right. Can you hear me now? I can. All right, we're back. Sorry, I uh shoving some ribs in my mouth really quick. <laughs> That's all right. But yeah, uh, ladies and gentlemen, sorry about that. Technology is great, but it fucks up a lot. Um, sorry, I'm going to be chewing in your ear. So Hulk snaps and everyone comes back. Um, and... Then I'm trying to think of what the next scene is. Well, then you got... Uh, I don't know if you heard me during that, but you get Scott Lang walking out to see that the trees and the birds are returned. And then, yeah, at this, right before that had happened, Thanos' ship makes it out of uh, the quantum realm. And so you get them decimating. So Scott Lang's basically at the blast that... At, the the blast zone ground zero for the first warhead. What I was saying is that he would have he should have been dead. You know that thing pretty much hit him straight on. So you get all that. There's uh, some heroics with Ant Man saving Hulk, uh, Rocket, and War Machine, and then you get uh, there's a scene with with uh, past Gamora, or not Gamora but past Nebula, talking to Thanos about what he's going to do, and then. He explains it. She fucks off somewhere. And you get Cap, Iron Man, and Thor showing up to square off for the what's to be the final time with Thanos. And the thing that's crazy is that this version, he, he kicked their asses without having any of the Infinity Stones. Right. Which are like not what Yeah, he was able to hold off all three of them at the same time without the help of even one stone. Right. Which seemed a little unrealistic. Well, in the comics, Thanos is way overpowered. Like, he has so many powers in the comics that they don't even really touch on in the movies. Yeah, without I, even I thought, having I, the, the stand. Right, I thought it was kind of interesting that they seemed to... Yeah, I mean, as I remember him in the... When, at the end of... I guess maybe it's... Civil War or Age of Ultron. It's I, I, I think maybe it's Age of Ultron. Where uh, they, they determine that Thanos is actually coming. 
Um, and the first time that they, I heard his name, I said to my wife, ooh, they're going to bring Thanos, and he's big and bad. He's a bad man. Because I remember from the comic books, I mean, he's he is a bad man. I mean, he's like the villain of all villains in many respects. And so I thought that it was interesting that they seemed to play up um, all of his power, or a lot of his power revolves around the stones in these movies, and that's not necessarily, as I understand, uh, where Thanos's power necessarily comes from. He has a ton of power above and beyond, well beyond the Infinity Stones or above and beyond the Infinity Stones. He's a pretty badass dude, just in general. Yeah. In the comics, he's very... Uh, he's, a, he's a threat even without the stones. Right. I mean, he's a titan. I mean, that, his whole race of people were, were pretty big and bad. And he was one of the bigger badass or ones of, of his people. Absolutely. Yeah, it was uh, impressive that I was able to kick all their asses. Like I said, that was one of the uh, the favorites of my movie, and they basically called back what Thor was doing to Thanos at the end of Infinity War with him plunging Stormbreaker's sharp end into his chest, and you see the hammer lift up. And I, I kind of knew what was about to happen, then it hits Thanos, and it pulls back, and it's Cap, and then Thor is like, I knew it! And then Cap starts kicking Thanos' ass for a minute. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, I that's really a thought, cool scene. I, I, I mean, really I, thought Cap was going to kick his ass and, and win it right there. I did, too. I did, too. And and they could have done it that way, and it would have been okay. It would have, but I think the... Uh, the vanished, as they called them, coming back. Especially a line that was a callback to one of the first lines in uh, Civil War with uh, Sam saying, on your left. And then you get a... Uh, that was such a cool a cool moment where you get the first people to come through the portal are T'Challa and Shuri and Okoye. And it's just... It looks like they're coming from Wakanda. There's that beautiful sunset in the back. And then you get Falcon flying out of the portal. And that was another cool moment, especially with the, the music swelling, is that people started saying in the theaters, like, where's Spidey? And then you see him swing in the frame, and everybody yells out, Spidey! And, yeah, it was such a fun fucking moment. And it was great. Like, it really played me, because I thought Thanos was going to kill Cap when he's on the ground, and he broke his shield. The shield's supposed to be unbreakable. And then you hear Sam say, on your left... And everybody shows up. And that is a true... Like, I could show you some comic books. that they, they, they think they call them splash pages where it looked just like that. When they all start running and everybody's running through at, at the opposing army. Oh, yeah. And it was just such a fucking comic book moment. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I enjoyed that scene a lot. The scene where they all pop out of the portals. All the portals start opening and everyone starts showing up. That was one of the most... That, that was another one of the more powerful scenes in the movie it was like yeah here we go all right and I, you know i mean i was definitely at the edge of my seat at that point and uh, and all invested at that point that was a big scene big dramatic scene there and it definitely felt like i guess it wasn't really that long but it felt like a good 20 minutes but not like a not like a bad 20 minutes like i could have stood to see a little bit more of that battle scene like i really that was so fucking cool 
It was. It was really cool. It was a very cool battle scene. Although, again, I still have the same issue that I have with all action stuff is that when when they actually start fighting, and I understand it's the nature of of battle, I guess, and, and whatever, it's hard sometimes to decipher what's going on. I mean, I had that same issue in the the battle uh, in episode three of Game of Thrones, you know, with the with the White Walkers. It's like everyone's fighting, and there's so much going on that you can't. It's not clear who's doing what all the time, and especially in superhero movies where they're flying around and and different. Because you know, you have heroes with similar powers, like you know, guys shooting stuff. I mean, some of it comes out of their hands, some of it comes out of their eyes, some of it comes out of their whatever, you know what I'm saying? And, and and before you know it, there's like lasers shooting everywhere and people are shooting everybody. And it's like, well, who's doing that? And who's doing that? And who's doing that? And can you slow down for just a sec so I can actually follow what's going on here? Um, but, you know, that being said, it was definitely a very cool battle scene. Yeah, no, it was impressive. It's impressive what two guys were, if you don't know, the directors of these last four movies or so they started out directing civil war and moved on to uh to uh no they started out with winter soldier then did civil war and then did infinity war and then did uh end game they got their start with a show called community which i don't know if you've ever seen that i did i love community yeah you know they, they've had a lot of the, the people in that show guest star the the black lady in the in the scene when they went back in time in the right. elevator she was uh Shirley. she was on community surely yeah. yeah and so they've had a couple of them and uh i just gotta say for a guy a couple of guys who started out writing tv shows man like they yeah. have come so fucking far like none of this would be possible without their their ability to to juggle so many characters and not only juggle so many characters but juggle them in a way that no longer makes sense but is damn good, you know, because you go back, you look at movies like Spider-Man 3, they couldn't even handle having more than fucking two villains. And they stuffed like damn near three into that movie and they couldn't even pull that off successfully. So it's a true testament to their their craft that they were able to pull this off. No, I and not like if you ask me, they stuck the landing with this one. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I liked about the uh, the first Avengers movie that I thought was so well done was that Joss Whedon did a really good job with an ensemble cast. And I think that the Russos have continued to do that. I mean, it's tough to do when you have so many working parts and so many characters that deserve screen time to make it all balanced and work well. Uh, you can see how difficult that is when you look at the, the stuff that Zack Snyder did for Batman versus Superman and Justice League. Yeah, so I don't know where it cut me off, but I was just saying that I, I'm, I've been impressed with Bruce's ability to the continuity that Joss Whedon uh, you know, and, and make it flow really well with a good ensemble cast. Absolutely. It's an impressive uh, feat of masterwork. Definitely. And, uh, you know, a lot of people, the film is divisive, but Zack Snyder proved that he could do it with Watchmen because that was a pretty damn big cast and a lot of different characters and he pulled it off. You know, I, I, I loved that movie. A lot of other people absolutely hate it. You know, everybody's uh, uh, welcome to their own opinion, but I thought I'd throw my two cents in there about, you know, we're talking about ensemble casts and sure. uh, directors being able to wrangle them. The first one was a big, uh, milestone and a big proof of concept in a lot of different ways and i was uh 
I was skeptical of them being able to pull off a cast like that, especially knowing the characters and shit. And I was very surprised that they were able to do it. Me too. Yeah, no, I was very impressed with how well they did that in the first Avengers movie. And I think that they've done a really good job, even with different directors of keeping that, the continuity and the ability to do that um, uh, has been done very well. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to say about uh, Avengers Endgame? I don't think so. I mean, I, you know, I, I liked, uh, um, uh, I liked that we, um, had Tony die. I liked that Natasha died. I mean, I didn't like it as far as it's never good to lose main, it's never fun to lose main characters, but I think it's important. I, what I didn't want, like I talked about earlier, was, you know, I knew this was going to be a reunion movie. I just didn't want it to be just one big happy hug, you know, we're all back fest. And I feel like even though it, there was a lot of that at certain times, uh, you still had enough um, powerful stuff happen to enough main characters that you still kind of got a little bit of satisfaction that, that not everything was just happily ever after. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, uh, we'll see. There were a couple. Um, there were a couple people that I noticed at Tony's funeral that I wasn't aware of. I didn't know who they were, and I've come to find out who one of them was, but I still don't know who the other one was. So there was a kid at Tony's funeral, kind of a long-haired kid. A little boy from Iron Man 3. Correct. And I didn't know who that was at first until my brother told me, um, because I didn't recognize him. And then apparently my brother said, and I didn't catch it the first time, but he said, I saw another person and I was like, who? He's all, uh, there was some person that I don't know who it was standing with the Barton family at the funeral also. And I didn't catch that the first time. I don't know if you caught it any of the times, but and I only I saw the Barton family. He said there was somebody else with the Barton family, and I don't know who it was. I'd have to see the movie again because I don't remember. But and he said he still doesn't know who that was. But um, so no, I mean, I just just that I thoroughly enjoyed the film. Uh, that I, you know, I'm I'm anxious to see it on uh, DVD because um, as with you know anything that's got a complex storyline. Um, especially when you're talking about the stuff with time travel and so on, I got to see it again or a couple more times to really, uh, you know, absorb all of the storyline process, every little line that's said, you know, analyze it all and really give it full weight, which I can't always do in the theater because I'm trying to um, just enjoy it for what it is, as opposed to analyze it uh, the first time I see it. So um, I'm anxious to see it again and give it some, some some in-depth analysis but i really enjoyed it you know it felt like um a big culmination it it, it was it, it it gave me everything i wanted um and a little bit more uh i'm looking forward to you know another black panther film i'm definitely looking forward to uh spider-man far from home um, although I do think that the Spider-Man suit looks a little too much like the Iron Man suit, <laughs> um, which I, you know, is what it is, I guess. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I mean, I think that's about all I have to say about Endgame. I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of, I'm still kind of processing the whole thing and, and trying to, uh, you know, uh, figure out how I ultimately feel about all the stuff that's happened. 
Yeah, you know, I'd say you probably gain a little bit more perspective on your on more viewing side. That's that was part of the reason why I wanted to. And after seeing it the first time, experiencing all that, then seeing it more times, and that became not only about being able to gain perspective for this podcast, but getting to spend a little bit more time with those characters that I've kind of grown older with, you know. I can only imagine what it must feel like to someone who, when they first saw Iron Man, they were like eight and are now probably, you know, either graduating or past graduation, you know, someone way younger than us and what that experience is. These characters have been in their lives in in a probably uh, different but significant way than to you and I, where for me, it's just been about the journey. I was already a little bit older when it all started and you know but it's just about you know kind of getting you know because for some people these characters are very near and dear and they probably consider them family so just imagine if you were able to you know kind of say goodbye to someone you loved or someone that was important in your life more than once it's kind of what it became about for me is getting to do that and say goodbye multiple times yeah no i could definitely see that i mean i'm you know I find it interesting that this is supposed to be the the culmination of ten years and twenty two movies in the story arc, and yet we're, it's not really. I mean, it is. Thanos is gone. I know it's the end of the Infinity Stone story arc, but we're still going to get more Spider Man movies, more Marvel movies, more MCU universe stuff. And so, even though it's kind of the end, it's not really. Um, it's obviously the end for Tony Stark, and it appears to be the end for, for Steve Rogers. Uh, it's definitely the end for Chris Evans. Um, but, you know, Captain America is not going away. And it appears that, you know, I mean, we're going to continue to have Rhodey probably as a war machine who kind of fills, even though it's Iron Man, it has that Iron Man esque feel to it. I am awesome. So, I mean, it, you know, it's ending, but it's not really ending. You know, is 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 both good and bad. I mean, it's it's good in the respect that you know, I I I'm gonna get to see more, and and I I want to see more. And at the same time, you know, it's not really the. You could say it's the culmination of ten years and twenty two movies, but it's not. Really, it's the culmination of one storyline. You know, to a certain extent, when you're still. It's an end of a chapter. Right. Exactly. You know, when you're going to have more from all from most of these characters, it's not really the end. You know, even if something is gone, it's never really over. Right, and well, that's very that. true with with uh, with this series. You know, like uh, you know, if you don't have anything else to say, I, I feel like we've been doing this podcast for about four hours. I'm kind of out of. Uh, I am out of space, oh. and my phone is going to die. Also, <laughs> it's at like eight. Well, then there you go. That's a that's a sign. Uh, I was fortunate enough to have an external battery, so I was charging my phone when he started. I was at like thirty percent. Now I'm back up to about ninety three. Right. But yeah, I think I want to get some food in my. All right, so we're calling it a wrap. Thanks. Yeah. Voice. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, people, me and Alan are maxed out. His battery is pretty much maxed out. Alan, as always, as you were just saying, it's always a pleasure to get you to do this with me. I'm glad that we can set aside time to uh, do these podcasts. And um, I didn't really tell you, but I'll give you a choice for uh, next week's episode of Entertainment Beyond. You know, do you want to do a top like top five or six 
Marvel villains, or do you want to do top five or six or seven scenes from any movie in the Marvel universe currently? Um, uh, sure. Let's do. Uh, I like the Marvel villains idea. Let's do that. Okay, so people, next week that's what you're gonna get, uh, and we're gonna this time. You know, you let me go first, Alan. So I'll give you the week, and you obviously you've proven that you plan your lists out a little bit more, which uh, doing that will give me more time to slack off on my list. So uh, we'll go with your. We'll start. Uh, part one will be Alan's uh, analysis, and then part two will be next week. But uh, yeah, people, if anybody, any of you who sat there listened, whether you're in the UK, the US, or or somewhere as far as Sri Lanka. Me and Alan greatly appreciate you taking time out of your busy day and lives to listen to this podcast. And uh, I think on that note, we're going to call it and we'll catch you guys next time. Yep. Sounds good to me. Look forward to talking with you guys next time. Thanks for listening. All right. Goodbye.